Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Quinn. And this is the Monstrous Woman Podcast. Fortnightly, we take an in-depth look at a woman or feminine monster who has fallen victim to a monstrous woman trope. We discuss their representation in different media, the real-world implications, and what we would change. The idea of this podcast comes from the Monstrous Feminine Theory by Barbara Creed. This theory gives us a lens to look through in considering why femininity is so often painted as monstrous. Hey everyone, before we jump into the episode, we wanted to offer a trigger warning for this discussion that we're going to have today. We do talk about some really severe essay that happens to characters in these stories, as well as a good deal of additional violence. We also want to warn you that there is some gallows humor or dark humor used as we discuss some very troubling things. Humor is a coping mechanism that we use and that people use in this episode. We want to make that clear up front in case that's upsetting to you or not something you can handle today. This does not negate how seriously we take sexual assault, but it is one of the coping mechanisms commonly used that from the people that are in constant danger of this kind of harm. We also, of course, recognize the difference between talking about violence in a fictional story and violence that has happened to real people. Uh, additionally, we want to give another trigger warning because one character um, does engage in self-harm, and we want to give a heads up about that discussion. It's a very minor part of the episode, but in case that is triggering to you. With all of that in mind, please take care of yourself for this episode and skip it altogether if any of this is going to be triggering. We love you and take care of yourself. Woohoo! Probably shouldn't woohoo also after the word monstrous, but you know what? Here we are. And everybody, welcome to the Maleficent episode because it's the best episode to be a part of. <laughs> yeah. So today well, we're talking about everyone's favorite dragon sorceress. Yes. Uh, fairy. fairy dragon sorceress. <laughs> fairy dragon sorceress. <laughs> this is a figure that looms pretty large in the cultural zeitgeist, not only because of Sleeping Beauty, the Disney film, but also Angelina Jolie's depiction of Maleficent in her most recent movies. Because Angelina Jolie, icon. I think to date, this is maybe the character we've talked about that's gotten the most public redemption, so that's exciting. I know. Normally, it's just like something we have to dig up that most people don't know about. But not today. <laughs> um, okay, so, warm up question this week. What Wait, is no, we have to introduce Charlie! Oh, you're right, I didn't write that in. Otherwise, there's just gonna be a new voice. Welcome everybody, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, I'm also here. Um, I'm just waiting in the shadows. Charlie, come out of the shadows. <laughs> Make a, a dramatic entrance like we haven't invite, invited you, even though we have invited you. <laughs> yeah, Charlie is so welcome to be here. We're so excited to have them. Charlie, do you want to tell the people what brought you here? Um... I don't know what brought me here. I guess like like a dragon fight or something. Like mm-hmm. like I gotta I gotta I gotta get into this castle. There's a bunch of thorns and shit. There's a there's a princess sleeping in there. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just keep ripping there. I don't know what's happening. 
I am also a podcaster. Um, <laughs> I'm the the co-host um, of 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 the Eldest Gods. That's that's just terrible to say. Why why did I make that the name of my podcast? Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you can say it. I can't say Fran's podcast, no matter how many times I've had her on this show. <laughs> Best damn camp pod. Cast, you maybe. Is that right? right? You, you that did right? it. Oh my god. That was Is that it. right? It's only when friends here that you don't get it right. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you broke the cycle. <laughs> I know. Now I just have to invite her back and say it again. <laughs> yeah, which won't be long from now. <laughs> She's going to be back to talk about yep. very soon. So, yes, Charlie has a wonderful Percy Jackson podcast. They're one half of that podcast. Um, and they also are joining us today to talk about Maleficent, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. We, we love this, uh, fairy dragon sorceress lady. She, she's too many <laughs> things. Just, just too many. She's a multitude of things. It actually upsets me. I think on the, the head, the Disney headbands, she's like witch on there. It, it calls her a witch. And I'm like... No, she is a fairy. Get it right. That is not her title. We love witches. She is but fairy she is dragon one. sorceress. Yeah, all hyphens between those as well. <laughs> Which I feel is important. Alright, now do you want to do the warm-up question? I do. Okay, <laughs> so this week our warm-up question might not seem relevant, but if you think about it, it is... What is everybody's favorite movie remake? This is so hard. <laughs> I that's all I was thinking about like for the 20 minutes before I got on the call. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at any of the further questions. This is the hard one. Th- this was the hard <laughs> thing. I was just like, "Oh shit. I got I got to think about that." And I have narrowed it down to three. (laughs) We've had people with multiple (laughs) answers before. We accept that. Yeah. Um, so in, in no, no certain order, um, wait, is one of them Scooby-Doo? Um, cause I just want to know if I got that Um, right. It's, it's not. I mean, I mean, that's fair. I mean, if I had to pick a fourth, it'd probably be the Scooby-Doo sequel. Monsters Unleashed. Okay, yeah. So that's, so that's, now you got me good. on four. Um, but <laughs> the other three are uh, the 1999 uh, Annie movie. Okay, <laughs> good, oh, good. Oh, integral to my childhood. Oh, like, wait, wait, wait. The 1999? Is that the one the, without Tim Curry and Bernadette Peters? Yes. <gasps> okay, never mind. No, I resend my good. Um, <laughs> God, um, it's the one with Victor Garber as um Daddy Warbucks. Okay, okay, maybe one good, but Bernadette Peters is my love language. <laughs> it, it, this is the one that I grew up with. This was this was how my personality formed. Okay, as okay, a redheaded okay. child, I will no longer insult. As a redheaded child raised female, this this was my life. Okay. 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 I apologize. Um. Uh. Also, 
uh, for a newer movie, the 2019 Charlie's Angels. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, wait. That movie. Oh, wait. I keep going yes for the original one and not for the remake. Plan <laughs> was essentially raised in the 1960s. So you you can assume that any cultural reference for her is going to date back before you think she could have possibly been born. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, you you chose like a really divisive question here. Like this is gonna make some people mad. Um, so last week I made like everybody rehash childhood trauma in there, so this is like you're getting off pretty light. C- oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 2019 Charlie's Angels had a lot of gay vibes, so yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> and then obviously the 1998 Parent Trap with the- <gasps> Lindsay Lohan. Ooh. Yeah. Good answer. Iconic. I love that movie. I I chose my answer as well. Um, yep. Someone else. Please I think it, it's a, a good picture of you. <laughs> yeah, it does. Okay, Quinn, do you have your answer? Or do you want me to go? Um, I no, you go. You okay. go. There's so many options. Okay, <laughs> I have two answers. One of them's my real answer, and then one's a caveat. I feel I have to say. So my answer okay. is the 2017 remake of It. More so part two okay. than part one. I love It. I've loved It since I was a child when my dad showed it to me too young. Um, the one in the se- from the 70s that like isn't actually scary anymore because the um, special effects are so out of date. And then I was very... Speaking ex- of Tim Curry again. Yeah! I... I... I have feelings about this, but continue, continue. <laughs> so 18-year-old me was ecstatic when they were going to remake it. Um, and then, I don't know, 19 or 20-year-old me was even more ecstatic when they put Jessica Chastain and James McAvoy and Bill Hader in part two. Highlight of my life at that point. Fantastic. I truly can't talk about anything about it because I have not seen the original or the remakes because scary movies aren't my thing. I took a horror film class in college. It was the worst mistake of my life. Oh, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. I was traumatized by the Tim Curry one um, as a child. (laughs) I was forced to watch it on a class road trip to Canada. (laughs) Because someone brought it and the teachers were like, well, it says it's PG. What? Did someone cover up the, like, I don't know, other rating systems? Like, like, TV 14, I guess, counts as PG. I don't know. That doesn't translate. Like, that shouldn't translate that way. It it shouldn't. I watched it as a 12-year-old and I was like, I'm now afraid of, like... Uh, the bathroom and like all sewage because he could you could just like come out from there and kill me so that's great that was real great i think i was nine when my dad showed that to me and i was like delighted because he loved scary movies (laughs) and he would always try to show me like recent ones and then i would end up in tears because the special effects were like you know still good and so i could i didn't think it was fake Mm. and an overreactive overactive imagination and then um, we got to that one, and I was like, oh, this is clearly just a man with p- face paint on. And I was okay. But anyway, the 2017 remake, I stand by and like very much. I feel I should mention that the 2019 Little Women 
is my favorite movie of all time. Thank you. <laughs> also good. <laughs> I thought you were going to bring that up. <laughs> I think it is the best movie in the world. And I would fight somebody, maybe physically over that fact. But I don't count that as a remake because it's an adaptation of the book, not a remake of, like, a different version of the movie, even though there's multiple movies. So I didn't feel like that should be my answer. But I think that's the best movie. I think it could qualify. So either I, I guess everything's an adaptation of a book. I think almost anything can qualify as a remake if you if you really if you really <laughs> stretch it enough. It. Like <laughs> it's based off a thing, it's based off another thing. Like it they're all remakes. Everything is fanfic. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's my favorite thing to tell people because it pisses them we're, off. So we're, we will be talking about that in this episode of sleep, <laughs> yeah. talking about Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> okay, Quinn. Um, all right, the pressure is on. My initial reaction was uh, Speed Racer. I do not know what year that came out. Uh, I apologize, but it's an adapt, adapt, It's a remake of a TV show. That was that, that was also a cartoon or it was also a comic, uh, and I absolutely love that movie, even though it is atrocious CGI. But it's such a fun watch, and I love it. I love it so much. But uh, you can't. Got to talk about the Mummy. I don't know if I have to say anything more about Brendan Fraser in in the Mummy and what's her name? What Watts? I can't remember her first name because I guess oh, I am, mm. am sexist. Um, but the because you said I can't remember it, Musel. now I can't remember it. So thank you. Somebody want to Google it? I don't know what you're talking um, about, so I'm not the person to do it. The 1999 Sweet. Mummy movie. I've Have never you seen not, that. What? Is is the Brendan oh. Fraser Mummy a remake? I didn't. I didn't actually know that. So. Oh, yeah, it's a remake from, like, a movie from the 30s that's, like, boring as fuck. When I think of the Mummy remake, I think of the one that came out a couple years ago. So, with Tom oh, Cruise. Oh, no, 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 And no. I was like, don't don't you start, like, saying that one was great. <laughs> no, 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 no. Rachel Weiss, that's her name, uh, and her name was Evelyn. That's not her, that's, they gave her married name. That's not helpful. So... Her name was Evelyn something. That, that, this is like the bisexual movie. Like, in, in yes. case you need to know, that that's what this is. Yeah. Everybody in it is sexy. Everybody. Including that mummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll watch it. Speaking of Arnold Vosselo, um, But <laughs> now that I have IMDb open, um, whatever. All right, let's get into this before I continue talking about remakes. Charlie's Angels, the first, the the full throttle one. Good. <laughs> the one with Bernie Mac instead of Bill, or Bill Murray. I love Bill Murray, but Bernie Mac was better. Whatever. We can move on. Okay. <laughs> um... I think everyone knows the drill by now. At this point, we jump into the original fairy tale, but Sleeping Beauty is a complicated one. In the 1959 Disney film, they cite Charles Perrault's version uh, as what they are adapting. But, as you will see, I mean, 
I guess here, because this is an audio <laughs> medium, uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, they definitely were inspired by some other people, namely probably the Grimms and their surprise kisses. So, Megan, do you want to do the summary this week? Ooh, beautiful book! <laughs> I, had, I have to bring out my, my special Barnes & Noble Gold's pretty one because I had to buy it anyway. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay, yes, I will do the summary and then maybe we will post on our Instagram story a picture of Charlie's book if I can remember to do that on the correct day. Okay. This it week. It's going to be the correct day. <laughs> I'll do it tomorrow and nobody will have contacts for a month. Okay. <laughs> this week we're starting with Sleepy Beauty by Charles Perrault, as Quinn mentioned. So, there's a king and a queen who give birth to a baby girl, and they ask seven fairies to be her godmothers and bestow gifts to her. The ceremony is interrupted when the eighth fairy, who they neglected to invite because they presumed her to be dead, shows up and curses the princess to die at the age of 16 when she pricks her finger on a spindle. I also sometimes get my feelings hurt about not being invited to things, and I think this could be a good tactic for future use if you want to make note of that. So then the last quote-unquote good fairy uses her blessings to lessen the curse so the princess will fall asleep for a hundred years instead of dying. I'm really confused about the like mechanics and laws of their magic system that would allow that change but not to just reverse it when like why a hundred years and why a sleep like death. I have a lot of questions but that's okay. So a hundred years comes and goes <laughs> The prince awakens her instead of her dying, which is better. The king, so, but when the curse gets put on her, the king bans, um, spinning, and somehow the princess manages to prick her finger anyway. It seems as though nobody that, warned that her that this That doesn't make sense. Was... <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me at all. <laughs> well, it seems like no one warned her to stay away from um, the spinning wheels, it seemed like they just well, tried to get Well, she's never seen them. one before. She didn't know but what it banned looked it. like, How... so she didn't know what to avoid. Yeah. So <laughs> banned it? How was she so easily able to find someone who was spinning? Lack of education causes the downfall of Princess Aurora. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. This was not a situation that was handled well. But anyway, so the king banned spinning Princess pricks her finger anyway she falls asleep and her parents say goodbye but then her fairy godmother the one who lessened the curse so fairy number seven if you're keeping count sees a premonition that the princess will be distressed to wake up a hundred years later all alone which why you need a premonition to realize that is beyond me the fairy puts everyone in the kingdom to sleep i would be so fucking pissed if i was just a random peasant family who got my life interrupted for a hundred <laughs> years because this royal family couldn't get their shit together but whatever Basically, well, they have to have servants when they wake up. What do you so, think? It's like, okay, I thought about this. Take a take a break with me, and let's focus on the peasant family. Say they had to, like, go out of town, right? Say, like, the dad had to go on a trip, and he comes back, and he can't get home, and his family is asleep for 100 years. That's so awful. Okay, but we should, okay. Where's this adaptation? <laughs> I, I need this adaptation right now. Justice for all the people whose, like, whose lives were ruined by this king's incompetence. Anyway, so basically all these people were frozen where they stand for a hundred years because the princess was going to be distressed about everyone she knows dying. And then Tux, 
the castle and all of its inhabitants within a magical forest of trees and brambles and thorns. So any prince who tried to break through the barrier became trapped and died in the branches. Um, which reminds us a little bit of the Sea Witch's Seaweed Graveyard. Until one day, about a hundred years later, the princess's 16th birthday comes, and a prince comes wandering in, apparently able to get past this before impenetrable wall. And he is told the tale of the sleeping cake. It just like, opens up for him because, like, magic. He's special or whatever. whatever. He's the chosen the one! <laughs> um, some random old man basically, like, explains everything, and then, uh,. He enters the sleeping castle. He wanders around the castle a little bit, eventually coming upon the sleeping princess. He's awed by her beauty and falls on his knees before her. With this, the enchantment comes to an end, and the princess and the whole castle wake up, and it's the end. Or so the Grimms would have you think. But (laughs) part two? The prince and princess talk for a long time, and then they're married by the chaplain in the castle chapel. I don't really agree with the ethics of marrying a 16 year old who's just undergone this kind of trauma and like clearly didn't have a good education before anyway but whatever (laughs) the prince keeps his marriage a secret from his family which is never a good idea in part because of his mother's ogre lineage they just fucking threw that in there but he continues to visit the princess who's his wife in time she has two children named dawn and day Dawn means Aurora, or rather Aurora means Dawn, and that's where Disney got that from. Eventually, the king dies, and the prince becomes king, and brings the formerly sleeping princess, who's now an awake queen, and their children (laughs) to his kingdom. After two years, the once prince, now king, decides to wage war on a neighboring kingdom, as kings want to do, and he leaves his family in the midst of the children's toddler years. While he is out of town, the queen mother, who is an ogre, is in charge. The ogress queen mother sends the young queen and the children to a house in the woods and directs the cook to prepare day for dinner. Um, Again, day is a child. The cook substitutes a lamb for the boy, and the queen is like, yeah, that makes sense. The next day, um, she wants to cook the other child, Dawn, for dinner. This time, the cook um, gives, cooks up a baby goat, so a kid for a kid, as Quinn would say. Or said in this outline. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the ogre demands to be served up the formerly sleeping princess, who again is now an awake queen. The cook comes to the young queen and she offers to slit her throats so that she might see her children again. She thinks the queen's eaten them because the cook didn't let the mom in on this whole ruse, which seems rude to me, but whatever. Instead, the ogre is served a deer and the young queen is reunited with her children. But the ogre queen discovers the cook's trick and then prepares a tub in the courtyard filled with vipers and other creatures and she plans to put her daughter-in-law and grandchildren in it to kill them but just in the nick of time the king returns and her and sees his mother's true nature and so her son throws her into the pit of vipers that she prepared and the once prince and princess and their children then live happily ever after and there's some tellings or like some translations that have it so that she throws herself into the pit. Yes. Because her son of, knows like, everything. Does it what her son yeah, her son knows her shame now. It's just it's just two different stories. It's just just like why 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 is there a part two? 
I know it's so. Well, dark. the Grimm's did split it up into sto- like other stories. Like there is another story about a stepmother who was an ogre who ate her step or like what something like that. Like it, it's like they just sort of yeah. like heard it and were like, yeah, we'll take this bit and make it happy, and we'll take this bit and make us sad. <laughs> It's just, it seems like the really bad sequel that, like, nobody wanted. (laughs) It definitely does. Disney should have adapted Uh, that one. (laughs) Yeah. So, this is a bit different than the Disney one, as we just sort of discussed. Um, And, which is why it could be argued that the Disney, or Disney actually based it off of the Grimm's version the Grimm's version ends when the prince, uh, prince uh, surprise kisses the princess because that's when they added that um, addition. <laughs> they added that addition. Yes. Mm-hmm. They made that happen. <laughs> the Grimm's are the ones who came up with the kissing the sleeping dead-like person. Um, hurrah for the Grimm brothers. Why are they like that? I don't... I never... They did that with sleep, Snow White. They they like kissing well, dead-looking girls. They were, what what century? I don't know. Uh, German Christians. And I think that explains a lot. They were early 1800s Were they, like, German responding Christians. to the plague? Did, did they, like, see a lot of dead bodies as a child, do you think? <laughs> I'm not following how the plague influenced that artistic decision. Can you explain that to me? <laughs> <laughs> you know the plague dead you know young people well well like you know how you romanticize like the the sick the sickly like woman who just like faints like you know yeah. it's it's that kind of thing yeah like that like hot dying girl thing <laughs> that, yeah. that 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 in fact is thing that, that is thing that, that was a fetish <laughs> You know, don't make me sound crazy. Um, <laughs> I know what you're talking about, Quinn. You're not crazy. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> the Grimms also are the ones who named uh, the sleeping princess. They named her Briar Rose. Uh, so, hurrah, giving women names. It finally happened in 1812. <laughs> hurrah! <laughs> but also in their telling, there were... Well, or twelve fairies were invited, and the thirteenth was the cursed one. Or the was the one who were, was angry, and also in the original one, they weren't fairies. They were actually just like old wise women of the kingdom, but they were still magical. I think I like that better. In the, I did yep. in fact read the Grimm's version because I had it, um, and like it literally does say that they're wise women in that one too. So mm-hmm. yeah. I, I just like that they're like, we only have uh, 12 sets of um, these nice plates, um, so we're just only going to invite 12 of them. Yeah. Can't so. <laughs> but Can't the older version. Other plate in this entire kingdom. But in the older version, they're like, oh, I think that one died, so I guess we can't invite her. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's funnier. <laughs> and, okay, so we're referring to the French one as the older version, it is not the oldest version, and we're not even going to trace it back to the oldest version, so I'm just going to go trace it to the next oldest version, which is in the 17th century, welcome to Italy, the pent... Let me get my 
wrap my mind around this Italian word. Pentamaroni. Maybe. Pentamaroni. <laughs> yes. Which <laughs> is a collection by an Italian poet by the name, ready for this? Giambattista Fazio. I can't. I can't. That was... You put, like, the confidence in it, and so I believe you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all you gotta do. Just believe me. Giampista. Yeah, I don't know. Giampistia. Yeah, Basio. And Basio still has the element of the cannibalistic mother-in-law, so that's where that comes from. But he, uh, she does not want to eat the children and the princess herself. She actually wants to feed them to the king. So it's a little twisted like that. But also, when uh, the prince wakes up the, the, the princess, first of all, she doesn't wake up immediately and he fucks her and she yeah. gets pregnant. And it's wonderful. That's the one that I remember because that that's the one where like one of the, the babies pulls out the thorn from her finger, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone sucks the thorn from her finger and she wakes up. Yeah. Yeah, Megan. Okay, we can't forget yeah. to put a trigger warning on this episode. <laughs> no, yeah, I probably should have should have mentioned that. Yep, trigger warning. No, no, for we're gonna put it at the beginning. It's okay, but I yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't write it into the uh, outline, it, and that's gonna be necessary. Yeah, yeah Italy. Welcome. Triggers. Um... <laughs> Um, yeah, so many versions of this story, and we're just going back to the 17th century. If you're upset that we're not mentioning Vikings, I'm sorry, but not sorry. This episode will be long enough. Um, questions about but the Vikings. Yeah, it can trace back to the, the, this story can trace back to a Viking tale. So if you we'll want to research that, do that. carry it on some time to explain that for us, but not yeah. to <laughs> Okay, let's talk about this original fairy tale and all of its iterations, but mostly focus, focusing on good old Charles. So, yep. what do we I'm think right here. the evil... F- <laughs> yes, Charles, the reincarnated <laughs> version of Charles Perrault is joining us That's today. why I'm here. Yes. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. Okay, so what do we think the evil fairy's motivation is in this? Seemingly, it's really that she just didn't get invited to the event, and that is why she cursed the little baby. Yeah, it's the yep. fact that they all thought she was dead. It's like, guys, you didn't, that is kind you didn't of think offensive. to you you didn't think to like knock on my door and see if I was alive. You know what? Yeah, it's like breaking the rules of hospitality. Send an invite. You didn't get a death notice. Come on. Presume alive until proven otherwise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we could imagine that she was probably not, like, treated well in the past either if people were, like, thinking she was dead and she, in fact, wasn't. Um, and so, I mean, this could really just be, like, the last straw for her. Maybe maybe this was not the first event she wasn't invited to kind of a thing, and she finally decided to, like, put her foot down and say something about it. Came out a little strong with the cursing the infant, I think, but... Just a little bit, you know? 
I, I, I don't know. I want a prequel backstory of some kind of, like, why they thought she was dead. <laughs> I, yeah. There is a story there. <laughs> not it's one a, line. It was like, she never leaves that tower. She must be dead. It's like, are we not going to check? Are we not going to, you know, climb the tower and see if we need to maybe do, like, a funeral? No. Apparently Just because I don't leave my bedroom doesn't mean that I'm dead. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's just depression. Exactly. And from what little I know from, like, fairy lore, like, I, I had to read a book about um, this woman, Bridget Cleary, who was uh, the last woman in Ireland who was killed for being a fairy. Um, well, like, a literal, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, um, I guess we should clarify, like, a fairy, not, like, yeah. not, we're not saying yeah. slurs right now. Not, yeah, we're not, in, we're not insulting anybody, <laughs> Um, a literal magical being. Uh, it, it's a very traumatic story. But because of that, I, like, read a little bit about, like, what people, specifically in Ireland, thought of fairies. And it was very much, like, ritualistic and, like, don't go on this hill, go on this hill. And, like, like times of the day type thing. Um, and it, it seems very much like there are rules. And... Like, you, ha- you have to be really polite, and don't mess with them, and don't anger them, and they will be nice to you, but if you're just like, and you don't, might not even know that you're messing with them, and you will pay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that's sort of what it reminds me of, like, this, like, this fairy, she was she was slighted and they didn't know that they were do they were doing it but they did it and they have to pay even if even if they didn't realize that they were making the mistake when they were doing it uh, even though it was pretty obvious that all they had to do was knock on her door and see if she would respond or even just send a letter put a letter in the mailbox or whatever they do in middle <laughs> medieval times send a raven I think that's actually really helpful context because it puts the like proportion of her actions into a a helpful perspective because that's true with fairy mythology it is there are repercussions to slighting them and so not to like say they should have seen it coming but like to them I don't think that this would have been like shocking or like out of character or whatever I think when the slighted fairy walks in they're like oh shit what's gonna happen and they're expecting it to be yeah. quite dramatic um so that makes sense yeah and then also that the fairy does not reappear in this story that much like the good fairy does once to like put everybody else to sleep which is sort of a blessing and a curse which is I feel like what most fairies do it's like all it's sort of like a a wish from a genie type thing. There's always they can twist it if they want. Um, with but with this good fairy, she twisted it in a good way. Oh, all her friends will be with her when she wakes up. Um, I don't remember where I was going. I lost it. That but Maleficent, well, that the evil fairy not having a large role is what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. It, but the evil fairy disappearing. It's like that. It's like she did her curse. She doesn't need to come back and see how it it unfolds. Just the chaos of giving that curse 
is is the thing. Like, even if they solve the curse in... Well, as soon as she falls asleep, some guy comes and makes out with her and she wakes up, there was still all of that panic that was involved uh, in, the, in the enacting of a curse. Uh, so her job is done at that point. She makes an entrance, gives her curse, and leaves. And she's just like, job done, on to the next thing. I, I don't think it's really surprising that she doesn't show up at the end to be like, oh no, foiled at last! Ah! <laughs> I, I feel like an interesting thing there would be like, though, if you were to rewrite it instead Make the evil fairy be the the um, the the mother of the prince. <laughs> I feel like that would have been a fun like plot twist. <laughs> yeah, I think with the way that we interact with villains in media, that makes more sense and like follows more what what you would see today. I think the way that it's yeah. written makes it so much less personal. It wasn't this vendetta that the fairy has against the king and queen or the infant or anybody really it's just like well you were rude and now i will cause chaos and she was i mean successful like yes she didn't die the curse got adjusted but everybody's life was interrupted for a hundred years like i think i think she probably felt pretty good about that and felt like the lesson was learned um yeah but it is interesting just how impersonal it is she's like next time they're gonna invite me because they know not to be rude to me (laughs) so (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And Imagine them inviting her. Attention. They invite her to like the christening of of dawn and day. Because <laughs> they're like, <laughs> "Yep, we're we're not gonna make that mistake." <laughs> and yep. they're like, "You know what? And no gifts, please. We don't want any gifts from anyone. We're not doing that this year. So just just your presence is good. No need to do anything else while you're here." <laughs> <sighs> Okay, let's talk a little bit. Our focus is on the evil fairy who is just not present really in this original tale. So let's let's talk a little bit about Briar Rose slash Sleeping Princess slash who will go on to become Aurora. Um, And how she gets woken up. Because it's, you know, Mm -hmm. SA. Mm -hmm. Again. We're here again. We had to do this two weeks ago. We're doing it again. Yep. Yep. So, I was really surprised with Charles's version, the French coming out strong, breaking stereotypes, not kissing dead girls. Wow. Hero. Low bar, but they did it. It was amazing. Yeah, I was just really surprised that the French guy didn't have uh, the prince kissing her awake. It was more of a... Oh my gosh, she's so pretty! And it was sort of also a, like, the time is up on the curse. Like, she has been asleep for a hundred years, so it served just time for the curse to break. So, was it the prince was the right guy who happened to be walking by at the right time, and the curse just sort of, like, the the fact that the, like, briars or whatever, the, the, like, the barrier sort of opens up for him and traps his like the people that are following him out and like he's the one let in and no one else is um is really interesting and I sort of wonder if it's like was he is he the one meant to be or is it just it the it's the curse's time it's time for her to wake up 
Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see Omens that. Omens definitely feel like a very fairy tale thing. Um, and that it would be like, like this prince was like drawn here by some unimaginable force at the right time like when the princess was due to be awake or even like the good fairy knew that in a hundred years she would wake up so because of that prince like it's all very i don't know she had a premonition a debate about predestination which is not something i want to do um did that enough (laughs) growing up in religion but um yeah it is really interesting and i think it's much more interesting than kissing a dead person which is morally reprehensible yeah. and i think it's strange that the grandmothers didn't realize that it also shows that like that's a them thing like they just invented that and they, they were like this shit rocks let's put it in multiple fairy tales i know i don't really get it like that the the, the first version was so much more compelling and like interesting it feels than tonguing a dead person yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't seem like something you should want to do. No. And what's even worse, in Italy, they full-on assault a dead person. Yeah. Which, like, I have so many questions. I have so many questions. Okay, I'm going to say it again. If you're not at least 16, please turn this fucking podcast off. Like, please, for the love of God, it's not for you. Listen to it when you're older. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) listen... Like, was, like, necrophilia not something that was, like, taboo in Italy in the whatever century? (laughs) Like, that's my question. Because, like, she's dead. She's dead. And then they wrote down that they had sex. So I just don't understand. What's even worse is, like, the German and the French versions, they make it very clear that she is in a sleep-like death. She is asleep, though. So it's just that yes. she's asleep and not waking up, but she's very clearly asleep. So it is sort of like maybe we should making 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 out with the dead people jokes with them. But with the Italian version, she is very clearly stated dead. Dead. D E A dead. She's dead. And he comes along and is like, "Ooh, pretty dead girl." And like I don't understand and he like stations people around her like make sure this dead girl is treated right and plans to return which is why someone sucks the thing out of her finger because they're treating this dead girl right i it's a baffling story yeah, because you could make an argument. You shouldn't, but you could make an argument about, like, this kiss will save her life, right? Like, it's CPR. Ah, but the not kiss in life. this case. Not in this case. He's just no. having sex with her because he wants to. She's dead. No, he doesn't yeah, think yeah. she's going to wake up. At least in the other ones, an evil fairy burst into the room. And, like, we had a whole argument about the fact that she could be awoken under the right circumstances. There was, like, hope and a reason. Not that you should write it that way, but these two things are just, like, on such severely different levels, and it's baffling. Come on, Italy. he's not even the one to wake her up. It's just some random... No, it's unrelated. That has no positive (laughs) outcome. It's just something they chose to add in the story. It's wild. But then, 
What's even worse is that she ends up liking him and they get married. Yeah. And she, just... he is already married in this story. Like, it's such a, it's such a complicated, like, why? There's a reason so that the Disney didn't look at that one as their inspiration. Yeah, just, <laughs> I don't think Disney could have adapted, oh yeah, like, he assaults her, and then, like, she gets pregnant, has kids, and, and then the kid wakes her up. Like, yeah. like, like, like. Like, just think about that. Just, just, like, sit with that for a second. <laughs> like, I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't form words. Imagine the animators. An hour for, like, every background. Like, hours for every background. Let alone the actual figures. And them having to animate all that. I would die of laughter. <laughs> but also the horror. <laughs> Did this author, did this man, like, never meet or talk to or speak to a woman before writing this? Because that's the vibe I'm Well, getting. it is the 17th century. I don't know if women were invented back then. <laughs> <laughs> they were only in fairy tales at that time. <laughs> back then, there was only one gender, men. <laughs> it's oh like Tolkien. Oh my god, I was getting into an argument with somebody because they were like, I can't believe you haven't read Lord of the Rings. And I made a joke. I was like, well, I don't typically read books written by men who are afraid of women or something like that. Like, just joking around. <laughs> and they got so offended. And I was like, the elves are allegory for women. It's stupid. It's so right. I've been rereading Fellowship of the Ring and <laughs> there are no women. None. There are no women. And Legolas doesn't kiss any of the men. There's, there's, there's Goldberry. Goldberry. She's the there's singular woman in that book. Ever loving Goldberry. I did read that book. <laughs> the Tolkien woman. Okay. The, the Tolkien not... woman. Sorry. Oh, Wait, what? I said the Tolkien you said token. woman. And then Charlie. Oh, the Tolkien woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Quinn and I have made the joke that like we would cover Lord of the Rings on the podcast, but there aren't five women to talk about, so we can't make it serious. <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> But it, oh all right. God. Anyway, I think we've covered how fucked up sexual assault is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you want to talk about the ogre mother-in-law? I do, because I have questions. Because like yeah, being, I think questions could arise. <laughs> so towards the end, the son finds out about his mother's true nature. The first time I read it, I was like, "Oh, that she tried to murder your wife and children." But then the second time, I was like, they mean that she was half ogre. And that doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like the biggest revelation of the day to me. Um, (laughs) And that's really what... She was like, I have to kill myself because I can't deal with the shame of my son knowing I was half ogre. Stand by trying to murder his wife and children. And that is really my... Like, again, I don't understand where these authors, where their head was when they were making these decisions. Mm-hmm. There, they had no head. There, there, there was no brain, no thoughts, <laughs> no thoughts, just vibes. <laughs> All bad vibes. So many bad vibes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's another instance of like I don't know, maybe not another because I don't think we've covered it. Maybe with the with the witch, uh, the 
Oh my god, the evil queen in Snow White, like with the whole young versus old. Mm-hmm. But that's what it feels like more than anything for me. With like, all right, this this the mother, the the queen regent is there. She's now the like she's now sort of second place in her son's eyes, and it. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, I was sort of wondering if there might be like a post-menopause type thing with the ogre. But then also it could be racial based, you know? Like it could just be yeah. gross, gross, and gross. Like ugh, it's, it's just, I it's think just it's bad. Could, yeah, it's certainly allegory for something disturbing. I think you could definitely interpret it in multiple ways. I think we could, Quinn and I were discussing off the microphone a little bit about disability studies and how often villains are indicated to children by their disabilities so think like captain hook freddy krueger like it's very very common Mm. james bond as quinn pointed out um and i think the fact that her ogerness seems to be inextricably linked to her violence it could sort of fall into that category of like this thing that's a part of you changes your nature in some fundamental and frightening way and it needs to be like hidden away but once it's discovered like there's no going back um and that could be allegory for like a slew of horrible fascist things and like it it's not even relevant that the prince is technically part ogre but by the fact that his mom is part ogre like that's not mentioned ogre doesn't matter doesn't matter that he's an ogre. He is a prince. He saved a princess. But his mom, she's an ogre. Because, yeah. yeah. Damn and ogre that also means that the, his kids are part ogre. And when those they... kids are supposed to be, like, the most beautiful ch- children ever that everybody falls in love with immediately. Huh. Which is why the chef, like, saves them. Which, again. So bad. Saving children because they're beautiful is another thing that we just keep seeing in fairy tales. And it's weird. It's weird to be like, this seven-year-old is the most beautiful seven-year-old I've ever seen. Have to make sure they don't die. Because, like, if they Mm -hmm. were ugly, I would have had no problem. Maybe it's because back then they didn't know how to say, like, we love children. So they just say, it must be beautiful. So that's why I have to protect it. Here's an idea. All children are just beautiful. How about that? Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'll say not, Charlie. How do you decide which ones are worth saving and which ones aren't if we're pretending all children are beautiful? Gosh. Um, you just you just save them all. There has you, to, you have, 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 to have standards. I have and none. Children <laughs> Ugly children over there. <laughs> you know what? Charlie actually works in child care, so this is probably good that they feel this way. I do not. I will tomorrow, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But of course, all children should be saved, regardless of their outer beauty. In fact, I think it's weird to comment on a child's appearance at all. Um, As a a child who has red hair, I relate to that. Um, To those children. Always had my appearance commented on by random old people. It's mm-hmm. not good. Stop doing that, old people. I don't think we have a lot yeah. of old people as listeners, but tell your <laughs> grandparents. First, get them to listen. Then, yeah. stop. <laughs> this podcast isn't for children, but it is for grandparents. <laughs> okay. 
So we've sort of talked about how they equated ugliness to evilness and also how ugliness and ogreness seems to be a stand-in for any marginalized identity under the sun, which is terrible. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, do we want to talk a little bit more about the possible allegory for menstruation in this World. I only read, I only heard of this theory, like, briefly, and I was very intrigued. So, like, so these are sort of, like, half-remembered details, and I think it's more based off of the Grimm's telling okay. um, than the French telling that I cannot pronounce his last name, so I'm not even going to try. So, Charles. Uh, <laughs> the French Charles, their telling. Uh, so, the... There's a theory out there that the Grimm's version of Sleeping Beauty is a metaphor for girls getting their period. Uh, so there's like 13 fairies or 13 old women uh, who are, but only 12 are invited. There are 12 phases of the moon. Uh, I'm guessing that 13th is the one that fucks everything up. Uh <laughs> I don't know, phases of the moon. That was sort of where this theory lost me. Uh, but the I 13th it was... is the eclipse. <laughs> there we go. Okay, sure. We can say that. But then, like, uh, Sleeping Beauty is, like, 15 years old. So that's, like, when, like, around where people, when girls are maturing. Um, at least at in that and, time. Yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, well, like, by that time, it's like, all right, she's probably going to get married, so. And I'm sure that the ages for the telling, or in every telling changed, you know, uh, as it did with Snow White. Uh, that poor seven-year-old girl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then also, like, she gets pricked by this spindle, which draws a drop of blood, and there's some, like, weird imagery about the blood, and then, it, like, the spindle is shown to her by this old woman in a tower, and it's sort of giving, like, a handoff of from the old to the young, here, here is my period, I no longer have it. <laughs> <laughs> what, man, I wish I could do that. I know, right? Isn't that the dream? Because all of our mothers or other menstruating older adults in our life just passed along. Yes. Like, here you go. You're now old enough to endure this. Here, I shall stab you with the spindle. Now, here is now a you'll, pad. You'll bleed for five days every month. God, I hate it so at, much. At minimum. Yeah. No, it is like dying a little bit. Um. Yeah. Oh so... A man writing this as allegory for menstruation is, like, the right amount of nonsense for that to make sense to me and be like, yeah, this is probably what they thought. Like, Faces of the Moon and shit. (laughs) I know. I'm like, this is so wild, but you know what? This fairy tale was written by a man. It just might be true. It could be true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then also along that, that would mean that it takes a hundred years for a woman to be mature enough to get married after their period. So by then hurrah. she would be an old maid. You'd be like a little dead, I think, by then. Yeah. Oh well. If I get to sleep through my period for a hundred years, that would be fine. Yeah. Alright. 
Is there anything else we want to say about this original fairy tale? I don't think so, other than I fully recommend people going on a deep dive onto weird other historical tellings of Sleeping Beauty and honestly all the fairy tales because they're wild and they get dark and it feels more like Game of Thrones than Disney. It's very Game of Thrones. Yeah. Oh, I love those. It's a cannibalistic ogre. A little less incest than Game of Thrones. So if you were looking for, like, incest like <laughs> Game of Thrones, I would recommend fairy tales. So... Now we're going to jump over to the 20th century and welcome to the 50s with Disney's 1959 film Sleeping Beauty. Quinn, do you want to remind us of the movie's plot? Yes, and we have swiped this summary from IMDb because Megan was afraid of how angry she would become if she wrote it themselves. I was. As the kingdom celebrates the birth of Princess Aurora, a trio of friendly fairies bestow gifts upon the newborn, but the celebration is interrupted by uh, the arrival of the villainous witch, Maleficent. Why is she called a witch in this? Why? This, this is why you can tell that it was not written by us. We would never call Maleficent a witch. She is not a witch. She is a sorceress dragon fairy creature (laughs) (laughs) just keep adding more things on there (laughs) but so this villainous witch maleficent puts an evil spell it's a curse on the princess to prick her finger on a spinning wheel. She says, on a spindle of a spinning wheel. I don't know why they don't say it, because it's fun. IMDb, I have issues with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she will fall into deep sleep, only to have true love's kiss break the curse. That's not what she says. Why is... IMDb is failing at this recap. <laughs> but... <laughs> But we don't need it because guess what? Everyone grew up with this story, so we know what actually happened. Just desperate to keep Aurora safe from Maleficent's plot, the fairies adopt and raise her while keeping her safe in the forest. But when Aurora, Briar Rose, uh, falls in love with a mysterious stranger, the fairies realize that the stranger is her betrothed, Prince Philip. No, they don't. Not until later. (laughs) This is a terrible summary. IMDb. When Aurora falls into her cursed sleep, the fairies and Prince Philip must face Maleficent and a monstrous dragon. Maleficent is the monstrous dragon. Oh my god. If the prince is to fulfill true love's kiss and break Maleficent's spell. Okay, we're done with IMDb. We're done. IMDb is canceled. IMDb should be canceled. Not just for that, but in general. That was awful. That was really hard to get through. It was inaccurate. Not inaccurate. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> but here are some fun facts that were not from IMDb, but from my own noggin and other research. So, outside of Simply Plot, I have wanted to mention that this movie was the first real flop for Disney. Hurrah for failure! Uh, <laughs> so, not that the audience didn't like it, it was beloved, of course, but there was some, like, critics that didn't like it, but mostly everybody loved it. Uh, they adapted an already famous Tchaikovsky ballet into a modern musical. Uh, so it was like, ooh, cool, I already like this music. Uh, they used revolutionary animation techniques that they then ripped off for the next three decades. That's why Sleeping Beauty dancing matches up with Belle dancing mm -hmm. and like five million other things in Disney. But there was a cost to this making of beautiful art. It took six years and six million dollars to make in 1959 money. So that's like a shit ton of money. When, uh, and it took like, like, so six million dollars is over twice the amount that it took to make the three previous movies. And also those three previous movies came out basically at like one after another, like every year. And there was like a huge gap between, I think it was like Peter Pan. No, it was Lady and the Tramp and then to Sleeping Beauty. There's like a really long gap. So it was sort of like, ooh, we got, everybody wants to see this Disney movie. And everyone did. But the problem is they spent so much fucking money, they couldn't make the money back. They, like, got rave reviews. Everyone went and saw it. They only made $5 million. <laughs> or they only, yeah, they only grossed slightly more than $5 million. And it's because of, mostly because of this film, the company, as a total, lost a million point three whatever dollars in that year and then they fired a shit ton of animators because they like did they they're they almost bankrupted the company because it was also the same time they were building walt disneyland so it was mm -hmm. like they were trying to do all this stuff and then they just spent way too much money on this movie and it was the reason we didn't get another fairy tale movie for till freaking Little Mermaid. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm always happy when Disney goes through something horrendous. I know. But that's wild. And I'm sorry for any animators who got fired. Also, Matt, if you're listening, we love you and we don't hold you accountable for the place at which you work. You are wonderful. But Disney no. is a corporate hellscape. Yep. Also, fun fact, Prince Philip, the hottest Disney prince, is named after the ugliest king, King Philip. You're saying Prince Philip is the hottest Disney prince? I'm you sorry. Said prince, you said you thought oh, Prince yeah. Eric was the hottest Disney prince, which I yeah, also uh, think I that name never. is so bland, but... I thought, I thought it was, like, universal that Eugene was the hottest. I thought that was universal. If I did, I apologize. I, I lied. <laughs> Maybe Never. it was Katie who said that, actually. maybe I know Katie... my sister thinks Prince Eric is the hottest Disney prince. So maybe that's what it was. And then, Charlie, you're saying Eugene? I, I thought that was, like, universal, that everyone loved Eugene, Flynn Rider, whatever yeah. you call him. When I didn't grow up with Eugene. I said he looks like a 40-year-old man who doesn't pay child support. 
Wow. Prince <laughs> Naveen is also very nice looking. I'm not the person to weigh in here, but I'm just curious to hear everybody's thoughts. No. Yeah. But I wouldn't have guessed Philip was in the running. Yeah. That's what, yeah. That's he's like the most confusing. interesting of the early Disney princes. He's... Yeah, yeah. Like, the amount of personality Cinderella's prince has is an eye roll. Like, <laughs> Prince Philip has attitude. He yells at his horse a bit. He's cool. <laughs> That's not like, what I took away from watching this movie. <laughs> he stalks like, a girl in the woods. So cool. That's, yeah, that's the other thing. This man, like, he, he has no social skills, which, like, maybe I don't either, and I shouldn't, like, come at him for this, but when he, like, scares the shit out of, out of Aurora, I was like, bad start. Like, why is this a continual thing in these Disney movies? Like, you keep scaring women, and then they fall in love with them, and it's, like, not, not good. You know okay. what? Maybe it's just the boots. Maybe I just like his boots. His boots are sexy. Just his boots. <laughs> his boots That's and his so... hat, his cape, his outfit is just amazing. His outfit is, is also sexy on the owl, though. <laughs> exactly! It could be on anything. <laughs> the owl is not a bad dancing partner. <laughs> I'm always confused when people compliment men, but I've never maybe been more confused than right now. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) It's fine. I'm not laughing at my own joke. I'm laughing at Quinn's reaction to my joke. Okay. We should really get back on track, though. Hottest Disney Prince is something that we'll cover in in the bonus episode when we talk about whether Disney princesses are feminists or not. Because I want to hear what, what, what Maddie <laughs> thinks as well. Okay. Okay. I mean, personally, I, I think all the princesses it. are hotter than the princes. It's fine. Um, that's oh, yeah. A, yeah. That's one of the universal truths of the world, I think. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's discuss this adaptation. So, what do we think it was about the evil fairy that made the team at Disney make her, like, the central villain and give her so much personality and things. Because, like, we've seen them continually give, like, names or expand stories or things, but I think this is the biggest role expansion we've seen. Yeah. It's really interesting, because when you look at the main characters of this movie, you would think it would be, like, okay, title character, Sleeping Beauty, Aurora. No. Aurora is not not the main character of this the, movie. The that main is a laughable the idea. The fairies are the main characters, which I think really give like it makes sense that Maleficent is the main villain if when the fairies are the main protagonists, you know? Like it's like this is the light versus dark. We see both sides of this magic. Also, I I wonder how soon they designed the look of Maleficent because I feel like once they designed her, they were like, well, we can't have her in just one scene. Like, (laughs) they were like, we just made an icon. We can't just have her for five seconds. It has to be at least four minutes. Like, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, she's one of the most like iconic Disney villains who doesn't have a song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about that. I was so sad that she didn't have a song when I rewatched it. That would have been so good. Watch Descendants. She has a song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's Kristen Chenoweth, right? Yeah. Um, I think, okay, part of me thinks it would be really funny if, the, like, the whole thing behind it was them just really enjoying the, like, her reasoning in the original story, which we talked about, is just that she wasn't invited to the party. Because they really mm-hmm. play that up. And that was, hands down, the best part of the movie. When she walks in and she's like, oh, oh dear. Yeah. Oh, no. I thought my invitation must have gotten lost in the mail. That's so awkward. And then, like, <laughs> iconic. That was so funny. I, yeah, I, I mean. love her. So good. Yeah. And her, at first I was like, they're going a little hard with the, um, coding of her as a villain with her horns because I was like is that is she the devil but I think it's just that they were like foreshadowing or really like making her design very dragon like because her becoming a dragon is such a big part of it um which is better than what I was initially thinking um but I do think that they still do a similar thing of like she is the main villain so they go so heavy with her coding and like her dark colors like purple and green and black but I, I have to say, I think I prefer that version of it, of, like, indicating it to kids that way, than, like, what we talked about with the Mother Gothel episode, where it was, like, borderline anti-Semitic, and they gave Mother Gothel, like, more, quote-unquote, ethnic hair, and, like, thing, and things like that, mm. and, like, more, quote-unquote, ethnic features. Because at least with Maleficent, it's like, oh, she looks like a dragon, so maybe she's hiding something, versus just, like, racism. <laughs> So it was interesting yeah. to see that, like, 59, <laughs> they were doing things differently. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, with Ursula, like, they use, like, fatphobia and transphobia. And, like, with Maleficent, it's just good old-fashioned dragons. And I was like, this is a nice break. <laughs> it's just good old-fashioned dragons and devil imagery. Hurrah! Like... <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. When in doubt, go back to the devil imagery. <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, I, I don't know, maybe it was just the VHS copy that I watched it on, um, showing the signs of my, like, strange, antiquated childhood, I guess. Um, but I thought, <laughs> I always thought that her horns were just hair. I never read those as horns until like I watched it on like a big screen one time and I was like oh there's like lines in those those are horns huh (laughs) (laughs) so you thought she just used like a lot of hairspray yeah I just thought it was like a wild hairdo and it was almost disappointing when I found out that there was just horns I thought it was a really intricate Intricate, whatever, I can't say the word. Almost sort of like Winifred Sanderson hairdo. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. I was thinking that's like a Star Wars-esque hairdo if you try to do that in real life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If I ever would cosplay Maleficent, that's how I would do it. I wouldn't get a horn headdress. I would do my hair as horns just because. Your hair would be be so ruined afterwards. It would be terrible. I would have to shave my head. (laughs) Well, whenever you plan to shave your head, then dress up as Maleficent the day before. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Quinn will have a buzz cut after Halloween this year, is what we're getting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, let's talk a little bit more about, Quinn, you, you mentioned this, about how the fairies are really the central roles in this, and that if we're going, like, definition of protagonist, defi- definition of antagonist, it's really, like, the good fairies, the three ant figure fairies are really the protagonist moving the story forward, and then Maleficent being the antagonist. And just how interesting that is, right? Um, Quinn, you pointed out that it's sort of an anomaly to have four women as protagonists in 1959 when we can't seem to manage in 2022. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And then also, like, those three fairies have all different body types and personalities, which is also really interesting. It's like, this is the time of Lucy and Ethel, and, like, they're two women who are supposed to be completely different looking, and they clearly look the same, except one's a redhead and one's a blonde. Uh, by the way, here is Waffles the cat. I'm Please dying inside. Um. <laughs> yeah, Quinn is holding Waffles the cat right now, so if you hear a little jingling, that's who that is. Come over by the towel where I set up a sleeping spot for you. Waffles is an avid feminist. <laughs> yes. He was raised by women. Uh, (laughs) are you saying that aurora's the feminist because she was raised by women yeah not these women okay (laughs) well yeah actually these women are sort of hopeless (laughs) aurora wasn't raised by anybody aurora coexisted with these three middle-aged women for 16 years and it's a miracle she didn't die Um, she was raised by that owl okay (laughs) This is something I had such a problem with on this rewatch. So, come with me on a journey. Okay. I I am raised in a cottage in the woods by three middle-aged women who mm-hmm. I would probably presume is in some sort of polyamorous romantic relationship because I wouldn't know any... Like, that would be the only assumption you could really have at that point, right? Lifelong roommates. Yeah, yeah. Um... And then I turn 16, and I'm picking berries in the woods, barefoot, which I think really shows what little civilization I've been introduced to. And then a man scares the shit out of me. (laughs) And I really didn't know men existed before now. (laughs) Only that one or two, maybe. And then I get back home, and somehow... This movie wants me to believe that my instinct is to then marry this person. And then my my polyamorous cool aunts turn to me and say, you know what, actually, you're a princess. And you're going to go back home tomorrow. And I say, no. I need to stay and enter into a heterosexual relationship with this stranger who scared me earlier today when I was <laughs> playing with my woodland creature friends. Like, I don't understand how Disney believes... That, like, heterosexual marriage fantasies are so deeply embedded into a young woman that she would have no introduction to the outside world but would still somehow want to get married to this man. That makes no sense! Right? Like, that's not just me. That's so bizarre. I want her to live her cottagecore lesbian life. I I want her to live that. (laughs) That's how Aurora would have turned out if we were being realistic. Yeah. 
it just seems so strange to me that they're like, no, no, this is so a part of who you are at your core that you dreamed about men before you even knew that they existed. And then yeah. we're willing to give up everything to marry one of them. Yeah, and then even the words of that song, it's like he's listening to her sing it. So he's learning the refrain. And then when she stops singing, he picks it up because it's just the same song repeated again. So, and then she's like, oh my God, you met me once upon a dream too? And like, yes, I'm repeating what you said five seconds ago. And and that's the meet cute. He could have totally been lying. Probably was. Probably was. God, I just... This this was my favorite when I was a small child. The, like, no lie, this this was my favorite. It's so pretty, and the music is gorgeous. I love the music. Uh, uh, and I it's love a very the- calming watch. Uh, like, Aurora was my favorite. I loved the, the Once Upon a Dream song. Like, I loved all of it. But, just, God. We've ruined it. No. I remember when I realized that she only has like 16 minutes of dialogue or something like that, or 16 minutes on screen or something like that, something horrendous. And I was just like, oh, oh, well, my love for this is now tainted somehow. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been great. It's been great. I've, I've rewatched it many times since then and been like, oh God, every time I rewatch this, just, just, just think about it more. Gotta stop thinking mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. That I can't even get through Little Mermaid anymore. And I feel really bad about that, but also I can't, I don't feel bad about it at all. See, I, but daddy, I loved him. No, you I love that line because it's so funny. Like, but daddy, I love him. <laughs> I don't take it seriously anymore. I'm like, you're a I dumb know, teenager. So Shut up. Bad. <laughs> yeah. No, they're all so horrendous. Yep. Um. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about. Oh wait, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, Aurora being sort of mm. the worst princess in terms of autonomy. Do you want to? So yeah, jump off that, that since we talked about how little she is in the movie already. <laughs> yeah. So her last line of dialogue is uh, before she's cursed. Ah. <laughs> ah. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? She doesn't say anything to Prince Philip once he wakes her up. Lovely. Yeah. She doesn't even comment on the fact that her dress keeps changing color while she's dancing. I would think that would be just like a close-up shot at the end being like, Huh, this dress is real wild, huh, honey? Like, I feel like, imagine the last line. (laughs) Did did she get told her answer varies? Like, does she even know that fact? No, I don't think so. I think she would have to figure that out. God. When they're holding the wands. Mm-hmm. And have legs. Like, but, but does she even have the brain cells to figure that out? Yeah. 
<laughs> like also like her aunt like when when the fairies are like making her breath or making the uh birthday uh birthday pie that's what came into mind the birthday cake are you expecting me to believe that fauna has never baked the entire 16 years they've been raising this child like who they was weren't baby? raising her it was I know. it was Meriwether who usually did it. That's so that's Meriwether why. just did all of the practical stuff, and then Fauna yes. and Flora didn't do shit that sixteen yes. years. And then yes. for one day, they were like, "Meriwether, you mm-hmm. be our dummy." Oh, yes. I would this is why Meriwether was always my favorite one. Like, I, I knew. I was just like, she's the oh, only she's one who knows what's going on here. Like, <laughs> she's the smartest person in the room at all times. Yeah. I love her. Just because her favorite color is blue, that puts her above the rest a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it does feel a lot like, and this is sort of true of the original story too, that Aurora's just ignorance of everything is like half the plot. Like she's just never seen a spinning wheel before and so naturally like reaches her finger out to prick it, which wouldn't be my instinct. Um, and same just goes for the whole thing. She's just really being led through life. Just one thing's happening to her after another, and she's not an active protagonist for a single second of it. Yeah, um, even when she does prick her finger on the spinning wheel, it's like she gets hypnotized and, like, the, like, most haunting music in the world starts. Um, as you can tell, I really am a fan of Tchaikovsky, surprisingly. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I just think it's really, it's interesting that she just is like, but it is also cool that she does, it's not like, ooh, what is this spindle or whatever? What is this, uh, spinning wheel? I've never seen one before. It's more that she's hypnotized into poking it because I feel like the way her, she's dressed, it looks like she makes her own clothes. I feel like she's seen a spinning wheel before. Hope. Or maybe Meriwether made all of her clothes. <laughs> True. Maybe. Well, well, Aurora went picking flowers with the other two. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe her real parent, the owl, did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the only father figure she's ever known is the owl. <laughs> oh, oh do you want to actually, do we want to talk about her mom at all? Or lack thereof, sure. I know. The well, lack mom. thereof of Disney what mothers. Mom? <laughs> mom who? Mom where? <laughs> I found out that she did have a name. Oh gosh, where is it? I wrote it down somewhere. Layla? Oh, it's Le- yeah, Leah or Layla. In the Maleficent movie, movie, it's Layla, but oh. in I guess like in a short thing made by Disney at some point. Uh, where King Stefan and Queen Leia is how they say uh, are handing basically the keys to the ca- keys to the castle over to Philip and Aurora. Uh, Wait, she's not dead. In the animated world, there is like yeah, an she, animated she's alive. segment where she, she just was like named. she just doesn't really do anything. She she just, is there. She's just not a character. She just doesn't have any dialogue, and she's just identical to Aurora. No, she dies in Maleficent. You're confusing the two. (laughs) Yep. 
She dies off screen in Maleficent for no apparent reason. I fast forwarded through a lot of this movie when I rewatched it. <laughs> That's fair. That's okay. You mean you didn't watch Scomps? No. Nope. Right? Is that the song? Scomp? Scomp? I don't know. <laughs> Whenever they're getting drunk. <laughs> I didn't I didn't relive that yesterday. That's yeah. surprisingly. They, you know that is a perfectly fine. <laughs> The fact that there are, like, three male characters and then there are, like, f- four, five female characters who do things. Yeah. yeah. It's impressive. 1959. Breaking barriers in fairy tales. Sure. And only one of them dies. I feel like that's another <laughs> thing that we don't see. Like, well, now Disney villains don't die at the hand of the hero, which is different. But... Like, Are you saying what? that Pascal isn't the hero of Tangled when he killed Mother God? <laughs> <laughs> well, she, he didn't push her out the window. He just tripped her. Right? St- he right? intended murder. He intended murder. Possible <laughs> deniability. <laughs> Pascal fair, seems fair. like the kind of I was going to say the kind of person, but the kind of chameleon who would, like, make sure that he has plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. No. I was just pulling this to do this, not knowing, knowing yeah. anything was going on around me. I was trying to clean up the hair. Uh, <laughs> um, what was I thinking? Oh, I just thought of something. Oh, I was just... Uh, by the way, fun fact, when... Maleficent is killed. She's stabbed with Philip's magical sword, whatever. And there's blood shown. So that's like the first time blood was shown in a Disney movie. And also in that scene, they say like, return to the fiery powers of hell or something like that. Something where they say the word hell. And uh, because they they show blood and say the word hell... There was some, like, I think it was in the 90s or something, or whenever it was, like, re-released relatively recently, uh, it was rated as PG-13 because My God. And they had to fight for it to be rated down for PG because it's like, no, it was made in 1959 and it says hell and there's a teensy bit of blood. We didn't mean anything bad about it. They didn't have a problem with the sexual assault, though. That was what? No, they don't. Watch The Black Cauldron no if you issue. want to see blood in a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, right? That is such a freaky movie. But that has another mo- that's another movie that has lime green equals mean. Mm. Maleficent has lime green stuff. The Black Cauldron, when it spew- starts spewing stuff, there's always a lot of lime green. And that's like my favorite Yzma, color. she has lime green. Scar, lime green. Tinkerbell. <laughs> <laughs> Is yep. it the poison apple shown as having, like, green on the outside? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's as like the poison, poison that's put onto the apple. It's green. Mm-hmm. I I think Aurora would have been totally fine with, like, the stuff, the really shitty stuff that they made. She would have loved it. She would have been like, this She would have been so nice. <laughs> Here are some actual edible berries that I picked, by the way. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, do we want to talk a little bit about the changes they made to Maleficent? Yeah, sure. I don't necessarily feel that they gave her any more motivation. It still seems that she felt slighted about the invitation. You definitely mm-hmm. get the feeling that this is like an ongoing thing. Um, they did do a couple things that I thought were strange. Like they made the the magic more intrinsic. So like Maleficent's magic can only do evil things and the good mm-hmm. fairy's magic can only do good things. Which I thought was like a weird thing to tell children because it like makes a redemption arc impossible. So I guess in 1959 yeah. we like weren't interested and we just told children like you are what you are and it's unchangeable. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was strange. And then they just sort of like casually equated her to the devil. Yep. Well, her raven, it's not said in the movie, but I don't know where mm-hmm. it's said, but I heard it's named Diablo. Yep. So, devil. She's consulting with the devil throughout the movie. Shame on her. Yeah. That's why she's got to return to the flames of hell. Yeah. There should have been a second evil fight against Diablo, who's, like, revealed to actually be the devil all along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'd be good. Turn into a Chernabog monster, like, from Fantasia. Yeah. And it's like, Philip is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Philip just like, ah. Uh-huh. Just that you see a little wet, <laughs> wet pile underneath lover. His pants get wet. Uh-huh. <laughs> um... Yeah, and it's interesting that even in the movie, like, in the movie, she taught, like, when Maleficent has scenes, she's always, like, speaking, but she's very rarely speaking to anybody who's going to talk back. Like, even when she talks to Philip, she doesn't expect any any response from him, like, other than to, like, come and be like, I'm gonna get you, and she's just gonna be like, ha 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 ha, you fool. No, you're not. But, so she's mostly just talking to this raven that's awesome and badass and then gets turned into stone very tragically. And if you, like, look at her face when that happens, she's, like, really distraught. Because this is, like, her only friend. Like, the other guys that she's with, while entertainingly drawn, are literal goons. Like... (laughs) I don't think they'll hold a good conversation, and I think that's part of the reason why she doesn't like to talk to them. She likes it when someone just has a call in response. I don't think she actually wants people to talk. Uh. Yeah, I did feel like Maleficent was, like, a woman who was the only competent person in her workplace in relation to, like, her and the goons. And that, I think, is a reasonable villain origin story. It's relatable. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, she well, is what, me. Like, have you been looking around? And he's like, yeah, we've looked in all the cradles. And she's like, for the last 16 fucking years, you've been looking for a baby? You idiot. Like, <laughs> Weaponized incompetence. <laughs> this is how I felt at my last job. <laughs> yeah, I the think exactly. Person. She is us. We are her. <laughs> something's gonna give and sometimes it's cursing a baby mm-hmm. <laughs> her patience is done 
She had one opportunity to get away from these goons and have a nice day out, and she wasn't invited to the party of the season. How dare you deprive this woman from her one day out? <laughs> She's yeah. asking for your baby to die at 16 via a spindle. Like, at that point, what are you even Just doing? Just asking for it. Come on. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> um okay where do we think the dragon thing came from because there's no hint of her being a dragon in so i did find i think there was a telling of i think it was i think it was french dude i i think it was charlie the french guy uh he wrote i think it was the good fairy when she returned after uh after aurora or after after the princess was put to sleep, when the when the fairy returns to put the rest of the kingdom to sleep, I think there's one version version where she's riding a dragon drawn chariot. So this might be yes, the good fairy. Damn, that's so, badass. Yeah, that's some Medea shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how they went from the good fairy has a dragon-drawn carriage to the evil fairy can turn into a dragon. I I think the answer is that dragons are just cool and also, like, sometimes evil. So, like, give it to this cool evil person. Make make her a dragon. Give her something to do. We need a good fight at the end of this movie. Otherwise, it's just he looks at her or kisses her. And then, yay, we're all good. Like, you gotta vanquish the evil person. Yep. Because it's, it, you know, you know, you gotta do that. That's why. Mm-hmm. Evil cannot win at the end. And even just being alive is winning in Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I guess it um also dehumanizes her a bit to make her a dragon. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, nope, true. I'm not killing a woman. I'm killing a beast. I I was just glancing at my notes for this episode, and I put down the note, why does this movie bring up class just to have it be a misunderstanding? And I I think what I was referencing is when, like, they were upset because Prince Philip wanted to marry a peasant woman. okay. And then it turns out that he actually does want to marry a princess. And I was like, then why did we have that conversation? Yeah. I I really like the the miscommunication, like, love story. This is, this is... <laughs> what is it? it? This isn't the 13th century or whatever. Like, um, Does anyone here know Miraculous Ladybug? I do, but not, like, not well. <laughs> okay. That, that also has, like, a fun miscommunication love square where it's like, oh, we're actually in love with, like, the exact person that we think we oh, are. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's just, it's just miscommunications all around because secret identities. And, and this, that's, that's just what it is. They're, like, they're in love with the correct person. <laughs> and it's like, wait, but you have to be in love with this other person. That, that, that's, that's the person. Yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> or miscommunication, rather, in a romance 
It's like integral to the genre. How else are you going to keep these people apart for the entirety of a movie or a book or whatever? Mm -hmm. What I thought was strange is for the miscommunication to be class. Because it seems like he's being defiant of like, no, I'm going to marry for love. But then Disney turns around and are like, but you fell in love with the princess because that's what you're supposed to do. And so naturally, rich people will automatically love other rich people even when they don't know it. And so class is not relevant. Oh my god. You know how Prince Philip is the inspiration? Were they predicting Princess Diana? Were they predicting? Wait, no, no. Prince (laughs) Philip is the other guy. Never mind. Darn it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know where you were going with that. Do you mean because, like, Diana married um, into royalty? But then it wasn't a misunderstanding. It actually yeah. did happen, which I yeah. think Disney tells us here is impossible because you're going to love people in your own class without you even needing to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also, you guys, well, I wonder also if they're, like, inspired by other movies that were coming out at that time because I feel like the late 50s was, like, a time of, like, epics, you know? Like, you're having, like, mm-hmm. the movie The Giant and hot, Cat in the Hot Tin Roof and... I don't know, what James Dean movies, like, you know, like, just, like, really long four-hour movies that go nowhere by the end or either, or it, like, traces these people's entire lives. And I feel like that's what they're sort of inspired by, and a lot of those movies do sort of play on class, but it's still the 1950s, so it's, like, white people class, and they don't really go anywhere. In a meaningful way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So That's so funny. They're inspired. I if, still if you don't know who James Dean is. Copying what's in the zeitgeist. <laughs> if you want a better romance with weird class things that has miscommunications, watch Barbie, Princess the Popper. Um yes, <laughs> <laughs> we have and recommend Barbie movies is wild. That's like a no, recurring thing. We need thing. to keep a tally, or it's on our. Bingo I've never sheet. seen any Barbie media. Oh, oh God! You gotta at least watch Diamond Castle. It's got it's got cottagecore lesbians. Because <laughs> my mom, when I was a kid, was like, "This is unrealistic body standards." So no, and I never had Barbies. Wow. My dad was simply, this is terrible animation. No. <laughs> my mom collects Barbies. There's about a thousand in the room next to me. Um, oh, wow. I think, I don't know. If, dolls kind of freak me out. That's like a little bit alarming. <laughs> but I'm, sh- I'm sure they're lovely, but just thinking about like a thousand doll bodies like stacked up is like a little scary. <laughs> yeah, it was a little scary. <laughs> No, they, they, okay. it's fine. <laughs> Don't think about it. inanimate plastic. It's okay. If you if you want a romance recommendation with miscommunication in class that's in book form, um, Get a Life, Chloe Brown is very good. And it's set in England, where they actually understand class, which is, because we don't do that here in America. Um, but that's not <laughs> what we're here to talk about. <laughs> Yes. Um, no classes exist in America. Don't, or don't so they'd like TV. us to think. <laughs> okay. 
Quinn, it looks like you have some facts about the animation and voice acting behind. Yeah, I don't know if we really Maleficent. need to cover it. Uh, Le- Maleficent, you might recognize her voice as Lady Tremaine, another character we're going to be covering on this podcast. So, Disney icon right there. Her name was Eleanor Audley. So, just want to shout, shout out, out to Eleanor. Eleanor. And then also she was designed and animated uh, by Mark Davis, who was one of the nine old men, uh, Mm. which is a really weird old, weird term for people who worked at Disney. but he like was basically known for being Disney's ladies man. Like he animated <laughs> all the ladies. So like he did Snow White, um, not ladies, but he did them. Bambi, Thumper, and <laughs> yeah. Flower. He also did Cinderella and the stepsisters. She he did the Prince Charming in Cinderella. He animated Alice and Tinkerbell and Mrs. Darling and of course Maleficent. And then the Raven, Diablo, and then also Aurora, and then also some scenes with Prince Philip. So basically, he was a, he was amazing, and he was all over this movie. And of course, can't forget he did Cruella Deville. So I feel <laughs> like I just need to shout Cruella out Deville. the ladies' man, Mark Davis. Even though I feel like he was probably a little sexist, but it's okay. The nineteen, yeah. Who knows? We'll unpack that at another time. Yeah, yeah. Well, all the people look the same, and now we know why they were animated by the same people. Uh (laughs) Okay. Do we have any more thoughts about Sleeping Beauty, the Disney film? Other than that, I think we can agree it's pretty to look at. Not a lot going on underneath the surface. Yep. I can understand why it almost bankrupted the company. It's really pretty. Not much there. Sounds like an insulting way that, like, men describe women. So, but we're really twisting it and using that for our own, aren't we? Like, that's definitely, like, a line from Greece or something. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Moving on. Now we're going to talk about our feminist retelling. Hurrah! Now that we have climbed the mountain that is talking about Disney's Sleeping Beauty and made it to the other side, we're entering the 21st century! Hurrah! Technology is here! CGI! All that jazz! (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And we're going to be talking about 2014's Maleficent! So, Megan, do you want to talk a little bit about how this film differs from the Disney's earlier version of the tale. Yes, I do want to. So first, I just want to state that 13-year-old me when I watched this movie was amazed by Angelina Jolie's cheekbones, and when I rewatched it three days ago, held up. So, the plot. (laughs) I also lifted this off of IMDb, not because the movie makes me mad, just because why do work that's already been done for you? So, a beautiful, pure-hearted young woman. We shall see how accurate this is. (laughs) Yeah, Quinn. Young woman is already bad. She's not a young woman. (laughs) Okay, I'll try to make corrections as I go. So, this is a mix of IMDb and myself. So, um, there's a young fairy 
who's a little girl. Her name is Maleficent. <laughs> she has an idyllic life growing up in a peaceable forest kingdom. One day, an invading army. The Moors. A kingdom called the Moors. <laughs> One day, an invading army threatens the harmony of the land. Maleficent rises to be the land's fiercest protector, but she ultimately suffers a ruthless betrayal. This is the this is King Stefan. Like he's he comes from a lower class, and he becomes friends with Maleficent, and then um, they sort of like drift apart as things between their kingdom get really bad. You find out that as adults, Stefan's sort of working for the king and is possibly like kind of up to become his uh, successor. Um, and then Maleficent becomes like a more brutal protector, like more um, more anti-human. Not in like a bad way. She's totally right in feeling that way. But more like, you know, think Poison Ivy. Hate people, mm-hmm. love plants, doing what you need to. Echo terrorist. We love that. Basically, Steven eventually is like, I know how to, I'm going to pretend to kill Maleficent and that's going to be the way that I become king. Because, so then he goes and he can't actually go through with killing her because they fell in love when they were kids. So he cuts off her wings somehow that's better and like steals Mm. them and becomes king. Um, okay. Yeah, so then Maleficent like, it's, turns her pure heart to stone, quote unquote. So then she's bent on revenge, slash just protecting her home, which is also fair, and Maleficent um, goes to the newborn infant Aurora's um, party. A christening. Party for a baby. Is it a christening? Ooh. It is a christening. It's always called a okay. christening every time. Okay. I feel like she so says she... party for a baby at some point. It made me laugh. <laughs> christening slash party for a baby and she does the whole like oh my god my invitation must have gotten lost in the mail thing which is iconic every time the exact same scene i love it so much (laughs) um and then she curses aurora to spite um everything that's happened to her which like i don't really have a problem with it and then um she but like aurora grows up and turns out like she's pretty wonderful and sweet and like not her father so her and Maleficent form this little bond, and then Aurora, the curse still happens, because you can't undo it. You can only, like, semi-adjust no it. No power on Earth. <laughs> no power on Earth. Maleficent, you're a power on Earth. <laughs> so then Aurora's asleep, and everybody's very sad, because she's asleep. And then Philip kisses her, and it doesn't work, because he's useless. Which is, like, maybe the most accurate part of this movie. And then, I love it so um, much. <laughs> Maleficent's like, I'm just gonna give her a little kiss on the forehead to say goodbye to my kind of goddaughter that I accidentally kind of murdered, and then that wakes her up, because that's, and then, um, maybe the best character, because the raven really gets a whole personality in this, is like, no truer love, and that was, like, really cute of him, and he's, he's so cute, love him, great outfit, too, um, yeah, and that's essentially what happened. Right? Am I missing anything? You know that actor played Darcy in the uh, yeah the zombie did. one, the Pride and Prejudice and Zombie. He was Darcy. I yeah, thought you would he love was. that. <laughs> so fucking wild. My mind is blown. I have not seen Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I'm not in any way above seeing I, it. I just have not watched it. I watched it because Lily James was in it. That that's one hundred percent. Lily James why. is in it. Yes, she's um she's uh. I don't know anything about Pride and Prejudice. She was uh, the main girl. The, she's Kira yeah, she's Knightley. the main one. <laughs> she's Lizzie? 
That's so weird. Why is that cast so good? That's so funny. Okay. All right. Guess I need to watch Pride and Purchase and Zombie. Um, Do it. Oh, fuck. I lost my... Oh, okay. Well, we're talking about Maleficent. I was like, I lost my turn of thought, but I just finished a summary, so that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Summary's good. Yeah. And then Stefan dies and Aurora becomes queen of the Moors because... I guess a human has to be in charge of these. Also, I guess fuck her kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. They never talk about her kingdom ever again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you find out in the second one that they, like, gave the castle to the people is all they say, but they don't, like, elaborate on what that means and they don't cover that in the initial movie. No. I would think it would be much more interesting if the kingdoms just combined, you know? Yeah. That's Um, what I thought was going to happen. But, like, the second movie is like, no, we just, like, forgot about that kingdom. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they're, like, proposing combining two other, like, another kingdom with the Moors. And it's like, well, what about the one that's actually right next to it? Aurora's just gonna yeah. rule the entire world. Like, yeah. like she's just gonna keep getting world more kingdoms. <laughs> she will. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about Maleficent and Aurora's relationship. So, I mean, first of all, they make the um, they make Maleficent's motivation a little bit more complex, right? Because she actually has a reason to to be behaving yep. this way. Mm-hmm. It's a little more than being snubbed about a christening, which I think we can all agree. Like, you don't really want to go to christenings anyway. They must be like hella boring. Yeah. Um, Other than when the ones when the fairies are invited. I've never been to a christening with a fairy. Oh. Oh. I know of. I thought you said affairs. <laughs> yeah, I heard you say affairs. <laughs> I thought you were implying, like, the husband's mistress also gets invited. Well, in. yeah, that makes a interesting And I was like, quit, has that well. happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I sort of, I know this isn't really on the, uh, on the bullet points, but I want to bring it up before I forget. I thought it was interesting that they made um, the people of King, or like they made King Stephen at least Irish, and then it seems like there were other characters that had Irish accents, just because of what I said before about like the history of Irish culture with fairies. It's like there is precedence for like hatred and like burn it with fire at, in, mm. in your fireplace if necessary hashtag Bridget Cleary R.I.P. Um, <laughs> uh, no one will understand that unless you read the burning of Bridget Cleary which is fine it's fine it's totally fine it's just really traumatic um, <laughs> never mind but there is a history of Irish people and fairies, and I thought it was just interesting that they made the character that hated fairies the most, the most Irish of them all, and I thought it might be a little racist, so, huh. Yeah, that's my thing. It's like, what a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous thing to do, Disney, in 2014, to bring yeah. up the Irish-English relations that have always been incredibly messy. And then make the villain Irish. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's sort of the problem. If, if, like, Aurora was, like, raised... I don't know. I don't know. It was probably the actors. Like, maybe they cast an Irish actor first, and then they sort of based it off of that. But I don't know. It just doesn't... It's like a big oversight. Yeah. 
It's like that that I can that I can go to that jump so quickly is bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think in general Disney tries to stay away from controversy, so it's like weird to me that they wouldn't be able to like notice that that's a weird implication and that Mhm. But they could have also seen it as like, look, we're giving back these Irish people their culture of fairies. Isn't that wonderful? And it's like yeah, but you didn't actually make the fairies Irish. You made the villains Irish. Yeah, in that case, everybody should have been Irish. Yeah. Saoirse Ronan should have played Aurora. Oh my god, it would have been amazing. <laughs> oh, love that. That would have been perfect. No shade to Al Fanning, but... No, but imagine Saoirse Ronan. I just, I just love um, the... Stefan's like very Irish accent throughout the movie. I don't know. I know That's exactly. just something that I, I'm I, would, obsessed I can't with. get rid of the Irish accent altogether. Um, so we would have to have it somewhere else, but maybe just not make <laughs> yeah, the villain. I think we should have just made everybody Irish. Yeah. Yeah. I support that. More Irish. Mm-hmm. More I Irish. Irish. <laughs> Hi, I'm Irish. I'm also pretty Irish. I'm not. I'm German and French, so guten Tag. I'm also German. Bonjour. I don't like to bring that up, but I am. <laughs> um. Anywho. Yes. So yeah, I thought that that was also a strange, <laughs> a strange thing to bring up, considering the ho- the historical context of what you were doing to make a villain Irish ever is just a mistake, just in general. Yep. Um. But, okay, so do we want to talk about Stefan a bit more since we're sort of talking about making a villain Irish? Let's talk about the villain. Um, yeah. Wow. So, well. Nice little boy. Terrible king. They 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 brought back in the classism. Um, yep. Yeah. But in a worse way, I think. Yeah. And, and Philip doesn't even have a father to bring up the classism to in this movie too to make that parallel which is sort of lacking imagine if that i don't know i feel like that would have just added another layer but i guess since we're yeah. all, we've all seen the 1959 blend so we know it's already there but imagine that weird little kid saying it's a 13th century daddy <laughs> i think part of it's that they didn't do the classism like intentionally it's like actual their own like like same with the Irish person being the villain like the poor person is also the villain it's the same person um and so like they didn't address it in any way it's just like baked into the yeah it's so weird like because I fully support him being the villain of the story it's just the other additions that they because in the original one he's not from a lower class background and he's not the only Irish person in the kingdom so maybe if you're going to make him the villain, don't also make those adjustments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, other than that, I really want to hate this guy. But then the fact that... Yeah. I don't know. You can also, yeah. like, bring up a, like, a interesting parallel between how he, like, rises in status and, like, Maleficent rises in status and neither one of them were, like, born as, like, kings or queens or anything. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, it seems Maleficent. It's based on her power and her ability to like be an effective protector. 
And also because she's the only one who looks human. <laughs> so, like, Maleficent yeah. is doing deeds to protect her people while Stefan is yeah. doing deeds to harm Maleficent and then become king. It's sort of more of the motive. Like, he, he was... Or no, what do they say? It's all about ambition for him, right? Is that what the movie says? I feel like, yeah, I feel like she's yelling about his ambition at one point. It's it's ambition. It's greed. It's all of that. I don't know. I also just have feelings about the fact that Maleficent is like the most human looking out of all of the fairies, and she's the one who's yes. given this protector role, this queen role. Yeah, one of the, the trees should have been in that role. Give it to the Ents. Um, I love the Ents. <laughs> I know, they're so cool. Also, You're classically handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ents whenever they show up, even if they're not in Lord of the Rings. That's yep. basically my main critique of Rings of Power. No Ents. Give me the Ents. Show me the Lady Where are Ents. the Entwives? The Entwives! Yes! Where are they? They should be in the Shire by now. <gasps> Let me know. They better be there in season two. Um, whatever. And wives. <laughs> Hashtag and wives. <laughs> yes, I I agree that it's quite strict. It's also clearly like Angelina Jolie is the star of this movie, and she will look like her- herself. Yeah. So we're dropping the green, like, we're dropping the green thing. She's only going to have horns for, like, a little bit. Like, she's not wearing the same, like, clothes at all. She She's not well, even She always dragon has horns. This. Yeah, she has horns, but, like, sometimes they're, yeah. like, wrapped in, like, brown She just brown also has, stuff, like, beautiful and... human hair that, like, yeah. semi-covers c- them. Yeah, it's very much like this is the acceptable pretty version of a fairy. And it's interesting because they don't even depict her similarly to the three um, fairies who raise Aurora. Cause no, because you gotta... You gotta separate her from them, because, like, yeah. you know, they're not the same. They're the good fairy, she's the bad fairy, like. And even they are, like, allowed to look more fairy-esque. Like, they're, mm-hmm. at, they're, they are humanoid, but they're, they're, there's a bunch bigger difference. Like, the difference that they do to make um, Maleficent look like a fairy is, like, put in color contacts to make her eyes more like magical and then like mm-hmm. acrylic nails and the but not even like and the like the enunciated weird cheekbones. yeah it's a, it, that's, that's the thing they're not that's like, it they're not wild on angelina jolie's face they fit her face they're just like they're her <laughs> cheekbones she just had some wild yeah. plastic surgery and she could actually i don't know i feel like it could be an everyday look for her and she would be able to rock it but as we sort of mentioned the uh yes. other fairies i feel like we have to say hello to Amelda Staunton, who also was dolores umbridge so shout hello. out to her i see you and she was the pink Welcome fairy wasn't back she to the pod yes yes <laughs> an icon it's nice to not have to hate you when i watched this i don't know i kind of oh, hate her in this movie too because i'm just like i, know. I really hate <laughs> all of those reasons fairies. yeah for different reasons but i'm just like god i hate those fairies so much in this movie. 
Yeah. Like, I, I yeah, already hated Flora and Fauna in Sleeping Beauty. Like, <laughs> but I don't even I know, have Merryweather. Well, they're worse. By the way, they did sort of go backwards on this stuff with the repre- representation with them. You know, like how we talked about having different body represented with that first one. And now we're yeah. back to having three classically beauty- beautiful women. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was strange. The, or I guess just it, in it general, be beautiful, but strangely beautiful. Yeah, in general, the like be... sex appeal in this movie is strange. Like, why? Why was anybody? Why did anybody have to be like sexy in this movie? Why was that? Why, why is everyone we so sexy? Is Angelina Jolie's in it. Why is everyone it so just sexy? Still felt... Why is the Raven sexy? Like. I know. I was like, could his shirt be lower? Like, Jesus Christ. You want children. a shirt to be lower? For, it's for children. And he was it's like, not. was he not wearing, like, leather no, pants as well? No, parents are watching, too. Yeah. They should it always wear leather It was so strange pants. to me, though. I was like, calm down, everybody. Like, this everybody movie? needs to calm down. This movie, I mean, I mean, Maleficent and, fuck, what's his name? What, what do they name him? Um, I don't Diavor? know. I tried to catch it every single time, and I couldn't Diavor? catch it. Diavor? Diavor? I thought it was Diavor. It's one of those. I'm not confident. Yeah, yeah. Those two. The they're Raven. they're for they're the they're the goth representation in this movie of like. <laughs> they are. <laughs> And it sticks out so much in the Moors because the Moors is so like pastel and colorful, and then yeah. Maleficent just comes through with like a black lace full length gown, and I'm like, what is happening? Like yeah, Aurora's is the cottage core lesbian, and then her her godmother is the goth. <laughs> like that's the <laughs> <Yeah>. vibe. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Maleficent and Aurora's relationship because obviously it's very very different in this. Um, yeah. Maleficent basically saves Aurora the every day of her life. <laughs> I yeah. mean, uh, ugh, what did the, what did the fairies, like, bless her with? Because wasn't she, like, blessed to be, like, loved by everyone who met her and all of that shit? Yeah, and, like, so, happy every day of her life or something like that. So, like, you know... What did the other fairies do that to Maleficent? Like, kinda, just a little bit. Ooh, yeah. How much? Yeah, I always wonder how much did the other fairies' blessings actually do anything? Yeah, but yeah. Aurora is like quite, quite likable, and I, I suppose that's more magic than her innateness. The third Maleficent movie better be Aurora loses her groove, and all of her like all of her blessings are Aurora's new groove. (laughs) Get a new actress for like just like really throw everybody. Just like, yep, she looks completely different now because she got all these blessings taken away. She's no longer blonde. She got her dad's brown hair. Ew, brunette. And now she's Irish. Yeah, now she's Irish. (laughs) I would watch it. Now Sarsha Woronin's in playing her. Oh, God. 
Okay. <laughs> it's not exactly where I thought we were going to go. Um, um, but yeah, Maleficent and Aurora. Uh, want to talk about Fairy Godmother. I love that scene where she's talking about, like, oh, I've seen, your shadow's been following me the, my entire life. Mm-hmm. And maybe also it's because I've been rereading Lord of the Rings, there was sort of a, ooh, shadow implication, but then I was like, oh, her shadow's been following her, it's protective shadow, fine. She's a nice shadow. Not Mordor. It's fine. It's all good. Yeah. It's not the Black Riders, it's all good. Uh. <laughs> Y'all know that one of the the child actors was actually like Angelina Jolie's kid, right? I know. Yeah, I've been. I was trying to figure out which one it was. It's the toddler, I believe. Okay, the one that comes like, up to her in the woods. Okay. Yeah, and then she like holds her up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Scene. I think that's interesting because, like, what Megan said, like she doesn't look all that different. She's the most so. approachable of the fairies. How about how about that's why? Exactly. Like, but I can see how if you're a child that does not understand TV is different than reality. Uh, at being like three years old, uh, it, it would be very terrifying to be put into a woman's arms with golden eyes and super high cheekbones and horns. Unless yeah. that person is your mother and you're used to her dressing up in weird costumes. You're just like, mommy, up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was um, definitely an interesting uh, and complex relationship. I feel like so often in fairy tales, you either are like, like it's like good connection or bad connection. And you don't really change from beginning to end of story. And so to watch them go from... Um, sort of like overcoming generational trauma together starting with um well like partially human fey relations and partially like they're within their own immediate family of king stefan being aurora's dad and being the one who was so abusive and horrible to maleficent and really the reason for her village and origin story and just that change like i think that was just a, a really genius idea and it was sort of frozen before frozen yeah, um, this and came out I after Frozen. Did it? Didn't it come out after oh, Frozen? Oh, did it? Frozen was 2013. Okay. Hmm. Okay. I don't know why in my head this is older. Okay, well, this is along the lines of Frozen. Frozen still <laughs> did it first, I guess. Um, where, with, like, true love's kiss being between, um, in this, like, a mother-daughter type of love, but in Frozen, sisterly love, but also just being, like, between two women who are in each other's lives and care about each other. And I thought Mm -hmm. that that was really interesting. Um, And it also deals with betrayal in a much more interesting way of Aurora, like, finding out that, um, like, Maleficent is her godmother and knowing that's who cursed her. And I thought it was interesting that Maleficent didn't immediately be like, okay, but let me explain and, like, everything with her dad and, and things. And, like, Aurora sort of learned that for herself later on. Mm. Um, yeah discovering the wings yeah but i thought it was a very well done villain origin yeah. story yeah it is interesting you point out like she maleficent could have turned aurora against her father immediately and she didn't yeah and, and it's interesting to think why she didn't um probably just to carry on the plot 
but um, <laughs> she she seemed to like not want to get too involved there. She's just like, uh, last time I tried to befriend a human, it backfired. So let's try not to get too close to this person. But like, I'm still getting close to them, regardless. Just yeah, and we see that she wanted Aurora to just come live in the moor with her and not have. Like, she went, like, that was the exception to humankind. Aurora wasn't any sort of bridge she wanted to build. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think she was hoping to, like, literally never have to deal with any of that and actually sort of keep everything from Aurora about the past and her own identity and stuff, which is, like, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit questionable, but we got there in the end. It worked out. Yep. Yeah. Um... Do we want to talk about the prince? He sure yeah, exists. Was... <laughs> he exists. Yep. He exists and he does essentially nothing. Yeah. I uh, I love, I love that, that he just basically gets literally dragged around for the rest, like half of the movie. I loved when Maleficent was like, true love isn't real, though, so, like, I don't know why you think this is gonna work. And then she was, like, r- like vindicated, and I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I get that. You're right. I also, I think he might have been asleep longer in the movie than Aurora was. Which is a win. It Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say it's a win. No, I guess not, because Aurora was knocked out that one time before... She was actually cursed. I so. think he has as much characterization as Aurora in the Sleeping Beauty, the original, so. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it did feel kind of intentional, like they were sort of mocking his role in the original with his role in this, and I really enjoyed that because it was like, look mm-hmm. at that growth. Look at us realizing how silly we were in 1959. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do, I like his growth in the sequel, actually. I thought his character was really interesting in the Mistress of Evil about, like, okay, I want to propose to my badass girlfriend, but also my girlfriend's really badass, and if she doesn't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good character growth. Um, do we want to talk any more about the... Mother, I know we talked a little bit about it in the first, the 1959 one, and the lack of mother. Well, she is shown multiple times, or well, one time, one yeah. whole, whole time. I have, I have feelings about the fact that, like, Stefan, his, 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 his obsession with, like, Maleficent and all of that, like, he doesn't, he doesn't care about her he wanted to he wanted to become king he didn't care about the queen whatever um he had a kid with her okay cool i have an heir um and then she's dying like your wife is dying sir leave me to talk to these wings yeah like i like kind of love that just because it's so stupid but also (laughs) i i don't really get it and all, I don't like that she dies off screen, though. That's my only complaint. Yeah. I don't mind that she dies, and I think that's an interesting plot for him to show that he's, like, sort of going down this to this darkness. But I would, ra- would want to see her being like, can I see my daughter? I want to see my daughter type thing. Because I'm... Yeah. It's like, 
Mm, yeah, I wish he hadn't sad. died off screen. But I, I, I do think like that the, the whole fact that he's like, I don't really care about her. I just want to talk to these wings and be insane in this room. Like that mm-hmm. that's very good for his character and it's Yeah, yeah. Hilarious. It makes sense for his character. <laughs> I was also disappointed that she wasn't there when he gave the baby or gave Aurora to the fairies. The mm, queen yeah. isn't in that scene. Which I'm pretty sure she actually she is in the the fifty nine version. So that was like a change they made of getting rid of the queen for that, um, which makes it a more interesting decision because it's like was the queen even consulted on getting rid of her ki- kid for mm-hmm. the next sixteen years? Um, but we don't see any of her side of the story, so. It's a little disappointing. Yeah. I wonder if there's, like, deleted it's... scenes or something like that. I also just question why Stefan, like, trusted these three fairies um, in this movie's context. Like... Yeah. Doesn't really make sense at all. Um, he is an idiot. True. He is, but yeah, he also hates fairies. Yeah, just like a plot device. Yeah. yeah. Just you need a queen she, so you can have a child. She there to say, oh, thank you. You can leave now. <laughs> They needed someone for him to have a kid with. So, yep. queen. <laughs> All she was there for. There for the womb. Um, the royal womb. <laughs> oh, I hate that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I had a thought. Well, I know, like, uh, so, Megan, you have a bullet point about Aurora being the narrator of the Maleficent story. And I had a thought yeah. while thinking about that. What if instead it was Aurora's mom who was the narrator? I feel like that would make more sense. Just because I don't know if Aurora... If Maleficent would have been told... Or would have told Aurora all of the nasty details about what happened to her. Wow. I could see Stefan telling uh, the queen, everything that he's done in some terrible thing. But whatever. They made an Aurora. That's fine. A little boring. They already killed the mom. Can't do that. Yeah. I did like that Aurora was the narrator, I think, because it gave her some sort of autonomy as well as Maleficent. And, like, I liked the idea that the, that in this universe... The version of Sleeping Beauty that we got before in 1959 was wrong. Like, somebody who didn't actually know what happened was telling it. And Mm -hmm. that when Aurora tells her own story, she realizes that Maleficent is the protagonist. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that that was an interesting concept. I do, yeah, it does make you wonder, like, how she actually ascertained all this information, but, um... She she asked the evolve. I liked it. She she definitely asked the raven. That actually oh, yeah. seems like the most reasonable. What what but, if yeah, what if he had told the story? The sense. <laughs> oh, imagine if he had been the narrator. That would have been so good. I feel like there would have been a lot of passive aggressive jabs at Maleficent, but that would have been <laughs> funny though. <laughs> Let me tell you about my bestie who was also like it my been friend more of like Cusco vibes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is there anything else we wanted to say about this movie? Um, I don't think so. Let's talk about Mistress of Evil. Okay. 
I think we should all do a short summary and say in 30 seconds what we thought the plot of the movie was. Oh, God, I don't know what it was. <laughs> um. <laughs> all right, ready? Okay. Time me. Megan, start the Hang clock. On. Or tell me when to start. Okay, go, Quinn. Aurora is now queen of the Moors. Uh, Philip wants to get married. He proposes. She says yes. They go to his castle. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is there. She doesn't like the fairies. Her her king is like, yeah, I like the fairies. So she uh, poisons him, but doesn't. But it's it, it, but lies about it and makes it seem like, like Maleficent did it. And Aurora believes it because she's dumb now. And Philip also believes it because he's always been dumb. Okay, time's up for Quinn. Okay, okay. I think I can. I think I can do a shorter recap than that. But like, okay. I'm gonna be really Ready, simplistic Charlie? with this. All right. Okay, go. This is just a meet the family plot. Like, like Aurora has to meet her her in laws, and then. Maleficent has to meet, like, the other fairies that are like her, because we've never seen another fairy that's like her, and then chaos ensues because still human and fae relations are bad. Yeah. That's it. That's that's the whole movie. <laughs> okay. You had seven seconds left. Alright. I'm gonna give it a try. Alright. Okay. Saying go for myself, so go. Okay. Okay, basically, they had to make a woman evil because they fixed it in the first movie, so now they had to make just total regression. So basically, Philip proposes to Aurora because we still have to be straight, and then this woman is evil, and it's his mom, surprise, so an evil mother-in-law, wow, didn't see that coming. She's, like, kidnapping fairies and shit, blames it all on Maleficent. Apparently, no one learned anything from the last movie, so they all blame Maleficent, even Aurora, briefly, which felt out of character. And that's the conflict. It's like, be who you are. That's it. But That's but also the fact Good that um, um, the the mother in law is the one who like put out the the evil um, maleficent like stuff. She put out the basically the nineteen fifty nine propaganda. Yeah, she yeah. made the propaganda. Yeah. So everyone would hate maleficent. That was her fault. <laughs> I think it's interesting yeah. that they do make the mother in law the villain in the sequel because of like the original story and how. The mother-in-law is the ogre. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is unfortunately not a cannibal. In <laughs> unfortunately, <Christmas Eve>. <laughs> <laughs> missed opportunity. Yeah, imagine if she was just munching on those fairies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or her grandchildren. Um, I mean, who yeah, knows she isn't? The, when the fairies like die, they turn into just like leaves and. And shit. Like, flowers. Yeah, they she could, could be, be edible them. plants. It's just a salad. Yeah. <laughs> that should be the, like, her, like, demise should be sitting at the table eating some salad while Aurora walks in. Like, what are you doing? Ah, oh, just eating your fellows. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what Maleficent okay. turns into. <laughs> if she were to be killed Dragon in that way. snap peas. <laughs> Do we have any, like, important thoughts? I didn't like this movie. That's my only thought. I didn't either. I fell asleep. 
That's sort of why I elongated <laughs> I'm that. sorry I made y'all watch it. I just thought it was important for the, the ogre storyline. Yep, yep. I think that's what we got, anyway, it from, got but... from it. Mm-hmm. Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer, cool writer to the last. Um, I love her. Yeah. Yeah. The Can't only thing I enjoyed was the, like, me. banter between Maleficent and Aurora when Maleficent was, like, making fun of, like, humans and stuff. That was I liked cute, it when the raven that, got like stuck as a human. That was funny, too. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's great. I He could have a solo movie and I'd watch it. He's, yeah. He's the best character. Be <laughs> um, do we want to talk about anything else with that? We can talk about other retellings. I'm good. So there's another but, one. There's a book called, or book series by Anne Rice uh, of Interview with the Vampire Fame called Mm. The Sleeping Beauty Quartet. I fully do not recommend this. It is very traumatic. Um, I only read maybe the first two chapters of the first book, which is called, trigger warning, The Claiming of Sleeping Beauty. I Mm. stopped after she was assaulted uh, for the umpteenth time um, before she even reached the prince's castle. And for most of that those two chapters, she was naked, not of her own will. So, what hurrah. the hell? Yeah, it's written by a woman. Hmm, <laughs> lovely. Yeah, but on a better note, there's a ser- there's a children's book, uh, or maybe it's a, a like a young young adult. I'm not actually sure. Juvenile fiction, probably. It's like a early chapter book called The Wide Awake Princess, uh, and it's real, real cute. Uh, the main character is Annie, uh, so shout out to Annie. <laughs> uh, she is the younger sister of Gwen, who is the princess, cursed to prick her finger and put the whole castle under a sp- to sleep. Uh, but when Annie is, was born, she is blessed or cursed, depending on your perspective, uh, with being impervious to magic so that when Gwen puts everyone to sleep, Annie can work on finding true love's kiss for her sister. So it's a really weird, cute story. And it does sort of touch on, like we mentioned, um, like what if someone was out getting groceries and didn't come, came back and there is a wall of roses around the castle. There is a character in that book that that's the plot basically like that's his story he got locked out of his house by a wall of roses so drama ensues yeah it's a really cute cute story though um but then there's also one that i i honest i haven't read the second book but the first one was really good it's called how roll how rory thorn destroyed the multiverse by kay eason So it's about Rory Thorne, who is a descendant of the Sleeping Beauty, but like distant, like, I don't know, distant. This is like a space movie. This is like a space opera. What the hell? A space opera book. It's amazing. (laughs) Uh, This has like, yeah, space travel, androids, lasers, and so much. So we can assume it's been a while from castles, but they do still live in a castle in the beginning. So sci-fi. And Rory because uh, of Aurora. Yep. And Thorn because of 
Yeah. Roses have thorns. Uh, and then because she's a descendant, they uh, she gets blessed by 13 fairies. They do get blessing from all 13 because they have learned from the mistakes of the first mm. Aurora. Uh, and her main blessing, or the most important one, is that she's able to see through flattery and platitudes. So basically sort of like Emma Swan in... Uh, the first season of Once Upon a Time before they forget that she has that power. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, they do totally drop that. Yeah. So, yeah. And then drama ensues because, like, she's the eldest daughter and she assumes that she would be the the queen one day and then then her father gets assassinated on the same day her mother gives birth to a boy and then she gets... uh, uh, arranged in ma- marriage with a guy who lives on the other side of the universe, and she has to start a rebellion, and it gets fun because, yeah, she doesn't get put to sleep halfway through the book, because that's yeah not a part of it. The only real starting it's... point with the the Sleeping Beauty connection is the starting point. From there, it's nothing. Also, the villain is a male fascist, so. Hurrah. Anti-fascists. <laughs> Here. Always a good stance. Yeah. Punch a Nazi. All right. <laughs> Whenever you can. <laughs> um, I don't know about any other Sleeping Beauty retellings that of note or that I've read um, or seen. I'd be interested to see any like good ones or read any good ones because Anne Rice was... Fully traumatic. <gasps> I avoid, avoid Anne Rice. Avoid it. No, it's oh. not a good. It's not good. It's not good. I don't remember very, what very Sleeping scary. Beauty stuff they had, but have you all ever heard of the Sisters Grimm? I have heard of that. I don't know why I've heard of that. Is it a book series? Yeah, it's a it's a book series about like the descendants of like the brothers Grimm. They're these two sisters. It has kind of Once Upon a Time vibes, but they're like children, fairy tale detectives, and yeah, I don't remember how they handle Sleeping Beauty stuff in that one, but I I do recommend it if you like fairy tales. Will do. Cool. One of the main characters is Puck, though, for no apparent reason. That's not a fairy tale. Okay, wrapping us up, it's time to say what we would emulate from this woman after our thorough investigation of her character over the centuries. What are we taking away? When someone's rude to you, you you gotta be rude back (laughs) in a worse way. (laughs) Curse a baby. Curse baby. Curse a baby. (laughs) Obviously. I was just gonna say, show up to parties even when not invited. If your friends are going to a party and you're you weren't invited and you think it was po- like a pointed thing, show up to that party. You know the details anyway. Ask the person who did invite you to their face. See what they say. 
I bet they'll just be really polite and try not to get their baby cursed. <laughs> and then curse their baby anyway. No. Yep. Yeah. I'll be I like, think... I know what you did. <laughs> I think I admire how confrontational she is. Confrontation is not something that came naturally to me as a kid. No. And I remember being like, I need to be more confrontational. And like, I've... I think that's a good choice. I think that's excellent character development. I think everybody should be at least 10% more confrontational, unless you're a man, in which case you should be 20% less confrontational to balance out. Says um, the person who told the man who was telling children how beautiful that they, they are that he is a pedophile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, like, when you get catcalled, make fun of them. Yeah. Great... Or just be like, no, no, sorry, I don't have any money. They hate that. Spit at their feet. Whatever you want to do. But I just mean, I think be more confrontational when people slate you. Yep. That's my take. That's our takeaway. <laughs> Love that. Um, you could also you take, have to like, take the rules out. of hospitality. Uh. <laughs> yeah, don't not invite people. It's rude. Yeah. And Presume if you think people are alive dead, until check. they are proven not. Yeah. These are all good good life rules. Yeah. Okay. It seems like a, it's an obvious rule, but we have to state it because... Clearly, not to not. everybody. Exactly. A certain king. Okay. So that pretty much wraps us up. This was a long, chaotic, but fun episode. So thank yes. you all for, for joining us. Charlie, thank you for being here. Do you want to remind the people where they can find you now that they've all fallen in love with you? Yeah, hopefully you all have fallen in love with me. Of course, I'm Ginger. You should love me. Um, <laughs> um, so you can find me, of course, on my podcast of The Eldest Gods. Uh, right now we're covering The Titan's Curse. It's fun stuff. Um, Hell yeah. Love it. And, uh, personally, I'm at GreenPixie12 most places on the internet, except for Twitter, GreenPixie123, um, and I have a drawing Instagram at GreenPixieDraws. Awesome. Yes. Follow. Excellent. Follow Charlie everywhere! Except oh, their don't house. stalk me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Respect Charlie's boundaries, but engage with them on social media. <laughs> Yeah. Someone just stalks me like the prince. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. Oh, right. And uh. starts, like, singing at you. Yeah. <laughs> the Monsters Woman podcast is co-hosted by Quinn Albert and Megan Peterson. Produced and edited by Megan Peterson. And our social media is run by Quinn Albert. Follow us on Instagram at the Monstrous Woman Pod. We will link our socials, our Patreon, and our Redbubble store below if you would like to see more from us. And you can email us your thoughts, feelings, and opinions at themonstrouswomanpod at gmail.com. Do it. We love your emails. Tell us all the books that you recommend. Maybe not all of them. The ones that are re- relevant. But also... yeah. Ones that you think that we would like. Yeah. Recommend us. Thanks. Our cover art is by Tyler Peterson. We are distributed by Anchor. 
and thank you for listening. And for the making of this episode, we pulled from Sleeping Beauty by Charles Perrault. I'm so sorry if I said that incorrectly. Disney's 1959 film Sleeping Beauty, Disney's 2014 film Maleficent, and subsequent sequel Maleficent Mistress of Evil, and How Sleeping Beauty is Accidentally the Most Feminist Animated Movie Disney Ever Made. Wow, it's strange that adding four female characters creates a feminist film. <laughs> <laughs>